Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Over the Flames line to Shin. Far side, they shoot, they score! Kairou on a rush goal. Power play for the Blues, 2-1. to one. Kairou on side. They go, Kairou to Thomas, they score! And you can bring out the Zamboni. The Blues get out of Alberta with wins on back-to-back nights. And they beat the Calgary Flames by a score of 5-2. to two. They'll try to go 3-0 and oh on this road trip on Monday night. Oh, that's what it sounded like on Friday night as the Blues win once again, this time in Calgary, 5-2 to two with Alex Ferrario. He was on pre- and post-game coverage on Friday night. He will once again be so excited to do pre- and post Let's tonight. Go! Blues versus the Canucks coming up tonight at 9.30. Pre-game coverage beginning on your home with the Blues, 101 ESPN at 8.30. Alex, the Blues have now won Brandon. three straight. They have earned points in five of their last six games. They are starting to play a more well-defined all-around game. They won this one five to two. They're starting to score more, but more importantly, it's the goals against that are going down. In this stretch of games where they've earned points in four straight, they have allowed three goals in overtime, zero goals, three goals, and two goals. That is more like the team that we saw a year ago. That is more like the team that we have come to know and love here in St. Louis. I'm going to ask the question that I think, I think I have asked no fewer than 100 times in the first 31 games of the season. Are the Blues back? Can I ask your question with another question, BK? You can answer my question with another question, sure. Are you picking up what I'm picking up? Don't. Don't. I'm back and I'm proof of it. Yeah, she's about to play for you. 
Nobody does that. Goodbye, Nobody does that. Why would you even bring that up? This has nothing to do with the Stanley Cup team. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, sorry. Somebody on the text line. It's the air comfort service text line from the 417. Guys, the Blues and I are starting to form some kind of a toxic relationship. That's yeah. how I feel right now. Yeah. I'm in a glass case of emo- emotions, and I need Alex to be able to fill me in on how I'm supposed to feel today. Yeah, Britney Spears toxic style right now. That's what it feels like. Look, I, I think you have to feel excited because... They're doing exactly what we asked them to do as a fan base wanting to get back on board with this team. By the way, we're not letting you back on board. Let's make that very clear. We did that last season and they went on that run as we kept you off of board, BK. But you wanted them to perform well in December. Right now they're 4-4-1 in the month of December. You wanted them to go on this road trip. And what was the Brandon Claus statement going into this road trip? You wanted to see 3-1-1. At a minimum. At a minimum. They're one win away from getting your bare minimum. So they're doing everything you ask them to do. Offensively, it still hasn't been the prettiest, but you're finding ways to score goals in different ways. Your penalty kill, despite giving up two goals against Edmonton, has gone 13 for 15 in their last four games. Your defense, I have been most impressed by how they've performed defensively in these last four games because taking on a Calgary team that offensively has a lot of really big playmakers, Edmonton, you kept Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl off board at even strength. Nashville, you shut them out, and then... Uh, the Colorado Avalanche game, one player beat you. So defensively, I think they've been performing very well. And then you get the goaltending performance. We all know what Jordan Minnington provided. Thomas Grice backed up what you needed from your backup. So every check mark that you've been asking, Blues have been writing it down. And I think for some, they'll see the the shots against in that Calgary Flames game, and they'll say, oh, maybe you didn't watch it because it was late night, it's Friday night, you got other stuff to do. I get it. It's a holiday season. Don't take that as the end-all be-all yes the calgary flames got 43 shots on net and when you just hear that in theory it sounds really bad then you look at where the shots came from they were not high quality chances for the most part a lot of that was just like throwing the puck at the net to see what happens in the game according to natural stat trick the blues finished with 13 high danger chances the flames had 10 so the Blues, despite the fact that they were outshot in that game by a margin of 43 to 24, had more high danger chances at five on five than the Calgary Flames. That's what you need. As long as you're the one that's getting the high danger opportunities, I don't really care if they're just continuously flinging the puck at the net from way outside. And that's where I think the Blues have done a much better job, whether it be at five on five or on the penalty kill. They are not allowing those high percentage opportunities at or near the net. And that is what was so frustrating to watch early on in the season. How many times did we see the defenseman basically creating a screen naturally on his own for the goalie or having a a puck go off of their skates or a backdoor tapping with a guy just standing right there waiting for it happened over and over and over again. Is that going to come back into their game at some point? Probably because that's how it goes, right? All of this is cyclical. But they're playing better, and it is a more consistent style of play that you're seeing right now. And so when I watched the Blues, I said this after, uh, which game was it? The, The Edmonton game. It looked like the team that I saw last year. And when I watched them on Friday, it looked like the team that we saw last year again. And so if they continue doing this on the road trip, am I going to be all in where I'm like, okay, I feel the way now that I did last year at the end of the season when I thought they had a real shot to be able to beat the Colorado Avalanche when we went into the playoffs. No, I'm not going to be there, but I'll feel better about them to the point of 
okay, maybe instead of talking about selling off all of your assets, maybe we start looking at what are they missing? What are they missing to take that jump from being pretty good to maybe getting into not the elite, but really good level of Western Conference contenders? That's that's still very much in play for them. To, the, to your point on the shots, here's how I always look at the shots when you know like, oh, yeah, it's a rough night. If there's two out of the three periods that you were dominated in shot totals and in that Calgary Flames game, only one of them you were because I don't think 14 to nine was one sided in that game. It was pretty close. And then the first period against Calgary was 14 to 12. The one period was 15 to three Calgary out shooting the blues in the Edmonton Oilers game. The one period was the first period 10 to five. You were being outshot the Nashville Predators game. You were being outshot in the second period nine to four. If there's one period, okay, you're going to have a bad period, especially in a back to back where you're playing the Calgary Flames. You know that those guys were exhausted. It's can you right the ship when it's going poorly? And they weathered the storm in the second period against Calgary. But then in the third period, they opened it up. And here's the thing. They were opportunistic. They scored three goals on nine shots. When they get the opportunity to score, they're scoring. And that's something that we weren't saying earlier in the season. They would miss their scoring chances, and then those missed scoring chances would go down the other end. But defensively, that's where I've been most impressed. And I'm not talking about the guys in front of the net. I'm talking about the five-man unit, the back-checking, the secondary help from the forwards, making sure that guys aren't getting odd-man rushes, not turning the puck over in the neutral zone. They're doing everything right. And as Craig Bruby points out, they're playing physical in front of their own net. They're not allowing a lot of space from the opposition. So they're improving the areas that we were concerned about. Here's my only problem. I'm, I still find myself waiting for the shoe to drop. I still find myself waiting for this team to have another losing skid like they had earlier. And that's just because the, this, that's the way this season has gone. They haven't won a game and lost a game, won a game and lost a game. It's been 1-2, lose 4, win 3, lose the 7. The highs are real high. The yes. lows are real low with this team. So, And I don't even know if we got away from this last season. Last season it felt like this where it's like you were always waiting for that other shoe to drop. That's how I'm right now. That one I could explain, though. Because this it was one is so much harder to explain. It was... Bennington's going through a slump and it was COVID has ravaged the team and you've got injuries all over the place. Braden Shin's playing through, I think, don't quote me on this, 37 broken ribs Probably. at any given point in time. Like you could explain away pretty easily. You're missing a top four defenseman. Like there were easy reasons to explain why they were struggling the way they were. This year, the explanation has seemingly come back to Oh, well, David Perron's not here, so they suck now. It's like, wait, no. That's not how this works. I can understand how you take a little bit of a step back. You shouldn't suddenly be terrible. And this is where I go to a piece that came up over on The Athletic earlier today, Alex. I want to read this for you because I think it perfectly encapsulates where I'm at with the Blues. The writer writes, quote, the Blues stink their season's over right up until they've won three straight this week. That's good. Wins are good, but it's the Blues, so they can't just play well and win a few games and leave it at that. No, we have to watch them win even though they can't make a line change and they screw up their own opening lineup. They also won a game where they got scored on in overtime. Sure, why not? Really commit to the bit, you know? All of this chaos has landed the Blues right at exactly 500 with a 15-15-1 record. It's not good enough for a playoff spot, but it's really not bad enough for them to be out of the mix either. They're clearly bad, so they should sell. 
but also they were a lot worse a few years ago, and then they ended up winning the cup. Doug Armstrong is a good GM, and he's going to figure it out, unless actually he might not be good anymore. This is the part where I'm supposed to tie it all together and lift the veil on some sort of brilliant insight into what's really going on with the Blues. So uh, happy holidays. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. This is Wow, that was a lot. This is my life these days. I don't know what to make of this team. And that's where they're at, dude. This is where we're at with the Blues. Is like when they play well, you can see how it all co- comes together. And in March, we're having totally different conversations about, hey, the Blues should go out there and acquire Brock Besser. Or, on the other hand, be better with Besser. we could end up seeing the Blues completely derail the team, trade away Ryan O'Reilly, trade away Vladimir Tarasenko, trade away Ivan Barbashev. Maybe Nico Mikula is out of here. Maybe Whoa. they make some hockey trades as well. Like, I can get rid of Mikula? You said a sprinkle Mikula's name in there? Wow. All of this could happen, and neither way should surprise anybody. Because that's where the Blues are right now. They're right in the middle, and it could go in either trajectory. Yeah, and that's, you know, JR had the piece on The Athletic kind of looking back all the way to the Alex Petrangelo season and how things have gone. And one of the analysts on The Athletic, Shayna, put in the piece, sometimes as a general manager, the best thing you could do is take a step back for a season and evaluate where your team is. And she pointed out that, well, Doug Armstrong hasn't done that yet. He's kept the team competitive by signing the Tory Krugs and trading for Pavel Buchnevich and signing the Mike Hoffmans in that offseason. That's, that's, that's my biggest question mark with this team. Is this the season that Doug says, you know what, let's take a step back as an organization, not rebuild, but let's take a step back and evaluate what our identity is. We've got three pending UFAs that we could get a large sum in return for, and let's reset the table. Or do we just throw it all in and say, let's go, uh, betting it all on... It's four pending UFAs. Nico Miklo, too, buddy. No, man, we're not just throwing his name into this conversation right now. Do you want to play blackjack and say, you know what, I'm going all in? And that's where... I don't know. We're going to find out. What? Do we go all in on blackjack? Have you never gone all in on blackjack? You can do that, man. Okay. Have you ever gone all in on blackjack? It's a new one for me. If you get it... Come on, man. What I like to do firsthand, push all well, the because you go to the table with $5. Yeah, then I'm either going to be there a while or I'm going home right away. Hey, you don't lose a whole lot of money when you do that. That's, that's right. right. And that's Alongside what I'm Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get to our football pick em reveal. It's the greatest time of the week. I enjoy this every single week, and I can't wait to talk about our football pick em reveal coming up in 15 minutes or so. At 1145-65780 is your comfort service text line for questions and answers. But next, we can't figure out the Blues. In Chicago, I don't think they can figure out the Cubs right now. What is their plan, and what does it mean for the Central? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. When you look at the defense up the middle now with him and Nico Horner, who moves to second, Bellinger in center, uh, they've really improved that up the middle defense. Uh, and obviously Swanson will, will do something to help their lineup as well. So, uh, you know, for a team that came into the offseason really looking to upgrade that shortstop spot with one of these four guys, Cubs are feeling pretty good right now. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That voice you just heard was Mark Feinsand over on MLB Network over the weekend as the Cubs handed out a significant contract. They said they were going to be in on one of the shortstops. They were in on the shortstop that I feared the Cardinals would be in on. And guys, this is where it gets kind of interesting is 
I think the Cubs had a very Cardinals-like offseason. And now you wish you had Dansby Swanson? They signed Dansby Swanson to a seven-year, $177 million contract. They end up going out there and signing Cody Bellinger to the one-year deal worth $17 million. At, as a starting pitcher, they signed Jamison Tyon. Again, a guy that is a good, not great starter. They basically shopped in the middle class of every single market that was available this offseason. Infield, outfield, uh Starting pitcher, it sounds like they're probably going to be in the catching market as well, likely for one of the no-names that is very much defense first. When I look at their roster, Alex, I'm not sure how good they are. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like they're going to be a top six team in the National League. I don't believe that at all. They're definitely better than they were at this time last year, though, and they are starting to build back into maybe a 500 type of a club. What do you make of the Cubs right now? I'll read you off their top six in their lineup after this uh, Dansby Swanson uh, signing. It's Nico Horner, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Cody Bellinger, Christopher Morrell. It's decent. It's not great, but it's it's decent. Top three in your rotation right now, Stroman, Tyon, and Hendricks, who was bad last year, but is always good against the Cardinals. Is this a team that you think can compete in any meaningful way in the National League right now? No, I don't think they can compete because when you read off that list, it's kind of what we talked about with that offense that you were looking for. If you weren't going to get Wilson Contreras, where you were going to get a guy that you're hoping can get back to his potential and Cody Ballinger being the MVP or mm-hmm. Michael Conforto being the home run King that he was with the Mets before he was injured. That's what it feels like the Cubs have in their offense. They got a lot of great names that I think as a group can be successful, but they still don't have that, that big, get it done bat. And that's what I think you're missing in that. And they still don't have that O-blank pitcher like we talked about that the Cardinals were searching for. I think they're a team that can hand some losses out to some teams. I think they're a team that could probably fight within the NL Central. I think the Cardinals are still the clear-cut favorite. And then I think it's the Cubs and Brewers now that are kind of in mediocre land battling it out. I think they're last year's Giants. The Giants last year, they finished exactly 500. I think that's pretty much what this Cubs team is. That's what I was going to say. I, I think they're right around 500. Like, would it shock me if they went 80 and was it 82 or they end up going 82 and 80? No, because I think that's where they sit. The The lineup to me, if Bellinger hits, it's a different story. But I, I've said this before. I don't think Bellinger's going to get back to being the MVP caliber player he was. But if the lineup ends up hitting okay, I think the rotation's fine. Like, I, I think their best upside would be like 85 wins. And, like, I, I don't think they compete with the Cardinals for the NL Central. Like, I'm not too worried about them. I'm more worried about the Milwaukee Brewers than I am the Chicago Cubs because I I like what Milwaukee's done. They've upgraded by, you know, you acquire William Contreras. He's better offensively than what I think. I mean, Swanson's fine. I think those two are even. But then when you look at what the Brewers did and they up, upgrade the outfield by acquiring Jesse Winker, Winker's probably going to hit in that ballpark. And he's got – he doesn't have the same upside as Cody Bellinger, but I think he seems more fixable than what Cody Bellinger is. So I, I think there's more concern with Milwaukee, but I agree with what Alex said. I, I, I think that when you look at the NL Central, the Cardinals are still going to be the clear-cut favorites in my mind. That's where I'm at as well. I don't think anything that's happened this offseason has changed the way that we view the Central. What if they would have got Carlos Rodon too? And I know this is a what if. The but Cubs? It, yeah. Because that's what I thought they were going to do. I thought they were going to get Radon, and I thought they were going to get Swanson. I still think they they would then be kind of like the Brewers last year to me, where it's like, can they be interesting? Yeah, they could have won like 86 games maybe with, with Rodon at the top of their rotation. I think they could have fought for a while. I don't think they would have got in, but they probably yeah. could have pushed for one. I just don't. The, the Cubs lineup feels fine to me. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't feel like anything that's going to 
really be any sort of threat. And that's where I went, got the Giants comp from a year ago. The Giants had some front-end starters. I mean, Carlos Ron was a part of their rotation a year ago. But their lineup just never felt like it came together. Yeah, who are you afraid of in their lineup? Nobody. Nobody. All, all of their lineup is just kind of, eh, it, it's meh. Mm-hmm. Even Dansby Swanson, we talked about him in the past. Like, he's, he's Tommy Edmond, light, kind of at the plate. And when you have that kind of a guy as being towards the middle of your order— I think that tells you everything you need to know about their lineup. Their lineup to me is like the Cardinals rotation. If you squint and like lean over to the left a little bit, maybe you could find how it could work out for them to be better than what we're currently expecting. But I don't think anybody should be expecting much of anything from them this year. And so with Swanson signing, guys, this means that most of the top tier free agents are now gone. There are some good players still remaining specifically in the relief market. But other than that, the vast majority of the high-level impact starters, whether it be position players or in your rotation, are now signed. If you could go back and you could pinpoint any one individual signing that you say, you know what, if I could take that exact same deal that they signed elsewhere and plop that onto the Cardinals and assume that money is no object, you get to take it on full freight. What would you have done? You're adding this to the Wilson Contreras deal. You get one more signing and that's it. What would you have gone back, Alex, and added to the Cardinals if you could? Man, I got that. I feel like there's one in every category for me. Like I, I would go back if money wasn't an object and do the Carlos Correa one, although the years are a little stressful. I know Carlos Rodon. I think the one for me, though, is I'd go back and I'd sign Kenley Jansen. I think that's the one area that I'm looking at and saying, I wish they would get somebody still. And for what he signed, what was it, two years? 25, 30 million, something so, like that. So it was like 26. I mean, that's 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 not bad for a dude who's in the seventh, eighth, ninth role with your two other. Two years, $32 million. So 16, so 16 mil, mil per. I, I think that's the one that I would probably would have gone back and signed. So I, I've always pointed out that I, I think they need an outfielder. And You're I would, getting the Marin Judge? You're going no, to get no, Cody I, Bellinger? I would, like the Judge deal, if I had no object, sure. I, I mean, I would have been fine. Same with the, like, I like the Benintendi deal. But I think if there's the one move that I would do, and I still think outfield's a need, but I think it would address the rotation thing, and I and I would go with the Verlander deal. That's, I, that I th- was mine. I think the Verlander deal, the two-year contract with an option for 2025 at $86.6 million guaranteed, it's short, it's sweet, it's a nice two-year deal. you got a front-end guy for not just this year that if Jack's healthy, you've got a great 1A, 1B combo, but then also for 2024, you've also got a guy that's going to be leading the charge. And again, it's one of those contracts to where if it doesn't work out, okay, it's over in two years. But Verlander's a guy that's proven he can stay healthy, and I know he's had Tommy John, but Tommy John's not as much a concern for me because guys bounce back from that a lot more successfully now than they used to. Verlander's the deal I would have done to address the top yep. at ace need. Man, am I, I feel like I'm the only one that's not that stressed about the Cardinals' rotation. I'm not stressed I'm not about stressed their depth. Either. I think that they're going to, if we get to the middle of the season, it shouldn't surprise anybody if they're needing a number one. And those guys are just really hard to find. They're Justin Verlander, who contenders sign in the offseason. And the other thing that I do think is starting to become a problem for the Cardinals when it comes to the trade market is these teams that are bad, they're just completely devoid of any talent. And when you look at them and you're trying to find, okay, who are we going to trade with to be able to acquire that front end starter? Man, it is not easy to find. Like, we've tried doing this during the offseason, and right now it's hard to do. Now imagine during the regular season when there's, like, two teams that are bad that have any sort of real talent, and now you've got every other team that is a contender vulturing around those teams, and now you're the Cardinals and you're trying to win a bidding war for one of those guys when everybody needs pitching. That's where it gets really difficult. So am I freaking out about it? No, I would say compared to a lot of the fan base on Twitter that I've seen, 
I'm over here sipping martinis, like feeling great about their rotation. But could they use a number one starter? Yeah. And if they could have gone out and gotten Justin Verlander on a two-year deal worth $87 million, that I'm with you, Tanner, would have been the one that I would sign. I would have signed that over Carlos Rodon, which would have been the second uh, choice for me. I would have done one Verlander, two Rodon, three Correa in that order. Those would have been the three deals that I would have wanted to sign this offseason because I don't think this was an offseason to play in the mid-tier market for the Cardinals. This was the year for them to go big. They did with Wilson Contreras. I would have liked to have seen one more, but I do understand why they did. And, and I, I do think that they need it. I still think they need an everyday outfielder, but I don't think that guy's out there anymore for them. Like I, I said, I would have done the Benatendi deal, but when I look at it in terms of if you could get any contract and money's not an object, I think he aced one for just two years on Justin Verlander. There's less risk involved with it. I know there's a higher AAV, but it's only two years. There's less risk. Benintendi, five years, we've talked about it. You know, he's coming off an injury-plagued year, and position players, I, I still find concern in giving them longer-term deals. So if you said, okay, any deal that you want, sure, I would go more more money just because it's two years and it's less risk, in my opinion, than the Benintendi deal. But I still would have done the Benintendi deal. And I would not have for what it's I'm worth. still curious to what Michael Conforto gets because he's the other guy that I, whatever he signs. It sounds like he's going to be the next one to sign i bet you i I think it's somewhere in that like 15 million dollar range i'm going i I think it's going to be something like eight to ten with incentives kind of like what brantley's was because brantley's was what 12 12. with four million dollars i'm going to say it now I'm a, he's going to be one of them. I said that you should have signed in mid season. We're going to be talking about Michael Conforto six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is your comfort service tax line. We'll get to questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes. We'll answer this real quick from the three, one, four BK. Are you back on the Cardinals pitching depth Island? Because I would like to take a vacation there. Yeah, I am. I, I think that people like when I look at the Cardinals, number six and seven starters right now, they're probably Dakota Hudson and Jake Woodford. You could make an argument for like Matthew Libertor or by midseason, probably one of the guys that's in double A, probably Gordon Graceffo would be my guess. Like Guys, look around the rest of the National League at teams and go go look at their number six and seven starters. It's not super impressive. If you're starting a sixth or seventh starter, it means that one of your guys went down and you're not feeling good about whoever it is. Like 2015, the Cardinals were excellent. Tyler Lyons was their number six starter. Like, Tyler Lyons was nothing special. He was out of the league like two years later. Yeah. And and now I'm supposed to be super concerned that Dakota Hudson, who most people were super excited about like literally a year ago, this time last year, I'm supposed to be worried about the fact that that's your number six starter? Get out of here. That's nonsense. Like, I'm not... I, I'm, I think there are real worries about the Cardinals, specifically at the front end of their rotation. The depth... Being a concern? No, not anywhere near where it was a year ago. Coming up next, we'll get to our football pick and reveal here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We say when we get in on a Monday and we Who sings that song? recap our football pick them. I, I don't know. Louis Armstrong. <laughs> no. You know he's a trumpet player, right? Janet <laughs> 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 okay. Jackson, according. Or no, yeah. Joan Jett, right? Yeah, J- Janis Joplin. I just, you don't like country, so that's why when you yeah, sang no, a country no. song, I was surprised. Yeah, not my thing. Go about your day. Um, Let's just talk about your loss again, BK. The Retinator, though. Can't wait to see him live. <laughs> live in Had person. Have you been here? I'm sure no, we'll have some no, more no. tickets to give away for that no, at some no, point. No. Uh, well, you won't. Uh, he's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie.
each and every Friday, if you listen to the show throughout the week, you will be able to hear our football pick them. We do it the same way every single week. We have the nine best games, in our opinion, for that weekend. And we pick them in snake draft order. One, two, three, three, two, one, and then so on and so forth. This week, Alex Ferrario, we're going to hear what you had to select first. Frankly, I'm surprised none of you went with this. Bills minus seven. Uh, Miami is not going to be handled playing in Buffalo. I saw pictures of them practicing and over the middle wide open at the 40 yard line is Jalen Waddle and he turns on the speed Ooh, leaving the Bills Mike McDaniels was saying, in the dust was three points Patriot away plus one and a half in Vegas against the Raiders you think that the Bengals figured something out I think the Patriots figured something out and it's called defense well, is anyone going to six out the 30 flips it back Stanford band nowhere in sight. Oh, it's picked off. Oh, oh, no. Unbelievable. Oh, wow. Incredible. Chandler Jones <laughs> takes it in and wins the game oh. for the Raiders. Oh, my God. And I'm going to back Tell me the there's a win. that seems to be the more confident group, and it's the Lions. And I understand Zach Wilson getting the call here. Zach Wilson trying to go out there and prove everyone wrong. I still think, though, that the Lions just got some type of secret sauce working in their favor. And when you're playing the way that they are, it's going to be tough to stop them. Goff, little pitch to right, big game. Brock Wright is going to take it the distance. Touchdown, Lions. All right, if you guys will allow me. So that's a one and two week for Alex Ferrario. Not a great start. Although you did have, I would say, the worst beat of the season what, with that Raiders what, loss. What are we doing? What are we? What happened oh, in that? So hey, I want you open. to take me through your emotions because you're. If anybody in our audience had the Patriots, they were what minus one minus in one, that game. No, plus, they were plus one, and, one and, a and a half. Plus one and a half. So all you need in that spot is for the game to go into overtime and for the Patriots to find some kind of a way Kick to either tie goal. or win it in overtime. Yeah, that's all I need. That's all you need. And you're tied in that spot. You're thinking, okay, we're going to overtime. We're good. We're, we're all right here. When you see the first lateral, what is going through your head? First lateral, I'm thinking, okay, they're, because I, I think there was like a second on the clock still, even if it was zero. But I'm thinking, all right, just just run out of bounds because maybe you got enough time to kick a field goal. If not, great play. You almost had it. Go out of bounds. Let's just start this thing from scratch. Then he laterals it again. And as soon as that ball went to Jacoby Myers' hands, I'm going, what the hell are you doing? Who are you throwing that to? Mac Jones, he was open. You're going even further. <laughs> he said, he said, I didn't see the guy. Mac looks like he was open. <laughs> but it's a, it's a tie game. It's a tie game. You're going to overtime. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> my, my So my wife and I and my one-year-old daughter were cooking dinner. My daughter's sitting there watching the television. I'm sitting there next to her, and I'm doing the up and down. I'm going, yeah, yeah, no, what, no. And then I put my head down. Adelaide's and, over here cutting up the Caprice salad. And then my one, my one-year-old daughter, my one-year-old daughter, I wish we had a video of this. She pointed at me and goes, <laughs> my one-year-old daughter was laughing at my misery. You got to love the Mac Jones effort on the tackle, too. Oh, <laughs> so, God. <laughs> Someone posted a gif. Mac Jones trying to tackle Chandler Jones. <laughs> it was a dude waving at a bull. And the bull just bull rushed him. <laughs> 
Oh, God. Oh. I was so upset, but then I got the text of what the results were for everyone else, and I'm like, now you know yeah. how I felt when the Ravens came back against the Dolphins. Or no, the other way around. No. The Dolphins came back yeah. against the Ravens. You will never know how I feel on that freaking play. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Those were professional grown men. Playing in the NFL. And they're Bill just Belichick. Bill Belichick's team did that. Oh, I've never I'm, seen I'm anything like that it. Bill Belichick was able to do post game. Bill should have told Guys, Jacoby Meyer to just stay off the bus. You're finding your own way home. Like, we're laughing because it, it is hysterically funny. Not really. That that very well could end up keeping them out of the playoffs. Like that play could lose them a spot in the playoffs because if they win that game, they're eight and six right now. They're potentially in. Let's be honest. If that's how you lose, you don't belong in the playoffs. Very true. But also, Jacoby Meyer, he will not be on an NFL team after this season, after that trash. What an awful, awful One and two. That kind of sucks. The Patriots' next three games. Cincinnati at home, Miami at home, and on the road at Buffalo. They're done. That was it. That that was their last opportunity to potentially get a spot. Freaking believable. All right, let's hear what I did this week at the football pick'em challenge, baby. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get absolutely mollywhopped by the Cincinnati Bengals. This is the time of year last year where the Cincinnati Bengals ended up going on their run. They continue that this week. They win going away. Frozen. Will Cox has Touchdown, Cincinnati for the closer. Gonna trust the Chargers. Ish. What's ever gone wrong when anybody has uttered those terms? Digger, Two losses for me. He's got it. The Cowboys Die. minus the four oh. points on the road at the Jaguars. I'm glad you're taking this one because I hate this one. And the reason why is because everybody's buying in now to the Jags. Hey, look at Trevor Lawrence. Ten touchdowns, no interceptions over the last four weeks. Literally, hey, look at the stats. Cowboys last week. They really struggled against the Texans. Feel good about this? This is going to be with the week where the Cowboys get back on track. Third and four. Blitz coming. On. Prescott throws Did backwards. It. <laughs> Intercepted. Jenkins has another one. Racing down the sidelines. Rayshon Jenkins is going to win it. You're in the so, clear. I want this to be known. I went 1-1-1 one, one, and one this week, which is my best finish in a week, I think, All since year. week seven. I'm pretty sure since week seven. I don't even By know the way, percentage that is. It is week 15, so it's not ideal. Look, man, you've had seven punishments. Like. Your your feeling on the Raiders win is basically my feeling on the Jaguars finding a way to win that game against the Colts. No, that still doesn't compare to what I witnessed in that Raiders game. That interception that was returned for six at the very end. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Bounces off of a receiver's hands right into the outstretched arms of a Jaguars defender. And then he just so happens to have a wide open path to the end zone. No. Yeah. Uh -uh. Impossible. Uh -uh. Like uh, Jacoby Meyer trying to throw it over Chandler Jones's head into Mac Jones's hands. And then Mac Jones figuring, oh, you know what? I can tackle Chandler Jones. Yours was worse. There's no doubt about it. But I'm safe this week. I will not be punished. Thank God. T-Bone, let's hear what happened to you. Bears defense is not very good. Justin Fields might be able to keep this somewhat close, but I think the Eagles ultimately end up running away with it on the road. Mm-mm. I like them minus nine points. Not Here is another pick. It's from DeAndre Houston Carson. That's right. He kept it close. He never ran away with it. Mm-hmm. Until he got injured. I think I'm going to take a bit of a reach here. I think I'm going to go with the Giants on the road against the Commanders plus four and a half. The Browns haven't figured things out. Oh, Deshaun I guess I Watson still looks rusty. They don't run the damn ball like they should. Stefanski, yeah. I'm looking at you. I like the Ravens on the road, plus two and a half at the Browns. Yikes. Watson throwing it. He gets it to Peoples-Jones. Touchdown. 
Cleveland Browns. You Let's would, go. You would think I would learn to quit betting on games with backup quarterbacks involved, but nope, here I am, just an idiot. <laughs> and this was both of them. Both teams had a backup quarterback because Deshaun Watson, I hate to be the bear of bad news. He ain't that the dude ain't one. a good starting quarterback right now. <laughs> Jacoby Brissett's the number one. They were better with Jacoby Brissett. Yep. Like, just flat out better. They were a better offense with Jacoby out there than they have been with Deshaun Watson. The only surprise for us this week is that we didn't somehow include Colts versus Vikings in our pick and somebody lose on that atrocity of a football game. Glad we didn't. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, my God. I would have been very, although you if you, you would have, no, because the Vikings wouldn't have covered on it, correct? Because uh, no, it was the four Vikings, and a yeah, half. Yeah, the Vikings would not have covered in that yeah. game. Some, whoever, all of us would have taken the Vikings. So 100%. We all would have been losing in that one. So the results of the week. Alex goes one and two. Tanner goes one and two. I go one, one and one by virtue of the tiebreaker, which is the point spread in the losses. Stupid way to do a tiebreaker. Which is the rule the whole the year. Tanner, point spread in the loss. Last week, Tanner fine. ends up losing this week, so he will be punished. If you want to vote on Twitter at 101 ESPN, I will serve mine. Or on the 101 ESPN app, you can do so. We have three different choices for you this week. Option number one, Alex Ferrario, is. To sing a karaoke song from PK's and I's choice of T-Bone on the air. Option number two. Read a page of Fifty Shades of Grey on the air. And the new one, which I added after the last week, whatever I lost once again, is Drum to wear roll, a please. hot dog suit while grocery shopping. Oh my God, I'm so happy this one's going to be you. Those are your three options. You can I vote on those on Twitter at 101 ESPN. <laughs> anybody wants that. Or on the free 101 ESPN app. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, is going to shock everybody, myself included. Can Ivan Barbashev be a part of the Blues' future? And if so, what does he need to do to prove it? Coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Hey guys, do you ever think that St. Louis will get an NFL team? And do you think that the NFL would consider expanding here? My answer to that is probably no and definitely no. Moving on. Next question. How about a little more creativity, Texter? Oh, you didn't have to be that. How do you guys feel about it? Same. I, I mean, I I don't as I don't before you even get the NFL conversation. I think St. Louis is gonna say no because they don't want to deal with everything they've dealt with in the past in terms of losing it, trying to get one back, and then having having the rug pulled out from under them. I just don't even know if St. Louis would even want to put the effort forward. See, I think over time, like in 20 years, say, and I think that's what you'd be looking at here, I, I think that St. Louis would have some more of an appetite for an NFL team, especially if you heard that hey, the NFL is interested. You'd become more interested in bringing in the number one sport in uh, the country back to St. Louis. I don't know if the NFL would look to go here, though. I just think there's bigger markets they'd like to explore. I, I think they're going to be the first uh, – League to expand overseas somewhere, whether or, or to a different country, whether that be Mexico or to England. I, I think they're going to be the first league to do that. I'm trying to think of other cities that would be big that don't have an NFL team. I don't think you can have a team overseas. Mexico, maybe. I don't think you can have a team overseas. It's it would just be too tough. hard. It's too hard logistically. 
It would it would be very tough, but I, I, I don't know if they would come here first. I, I think there would be other... I'm, I'm trying to think where else they might look, but I think there would be other places they would look that are bigger cities, try and get teams there before they come to St. Louis. 65780 is your comfort service X line from the 618. Guys, who do you think makes the next big move? The Cardinals or the Blues? I don't... I- I think the Blues. Yeah, I was saying, I don't think the Cardinals are going to make another move that we deem big. I think it would be the Blues in terms of either making a trade to get something or trading something away. I I agree with that because I I agree with you. I don't think the Cardinals are making a big move. They probably bring in a big-name bullpen arm, but I don't think you deem that as being a really big move. So I would say the Blues. Uh, 65780 from the 314. Guys, if Flaherty has a good half, do you think that the Cardinals would consider re-signing him? I don't think you consider re-signing him until after the season is over. I think you're on like the Wayno type of basis with Flaherty right now, where it's Hey, if you have a really good season, we'd love to have you back, but let's see it for the full 162 and then what happens in the playoffs as well. And the likelihood is if he has a great season, he's probably going to price himself out of the Cardinals market, but they're they're much more likely to keep their own than they are to go out to the open market and outbid somebody. So I don't think that it will happen in season. If, if Flaherty ends up getting re-signed, I would think that it's after the season comes to an end. I just don't think there's a chance he re-signs. I think Flaherty's had his mind made up since he started to get paid in Major League Baseball that he was going to test the market. He's always talked about playing the or following the system that they've given because he doesn't agree with it. So I just think Jack's going to the market no matter what, and then it just comes down to how much teams are willing to pay for him if he's had a good or a bad year. I, I just think the relationship is soured from both sides. I mean, let's not forget last year when you had that weird, like Mo said, it wasn't really the front office decision to call him back from the first rehab assignment. It was Jack's decision, then Jack denied that. So I just think the relationship soured to a point where it, if he's really good, he outprices himself outside the range. If he's okay, I, I just think he, both sides are ready to move on if I had to guess. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 618. Guys, if you had to pick a Super Bowl matchup right now based on what you know as of today, who would you pick? Who would be the teams that you would see facing off in the Super Bowl? Niners, Jets, Ugh. Brock Purdy, Mike White. That is certainly one choice you could make. Uh, mine would probably be Philly, Kansas City. I think that would be the most entertaining matchup out of any when matchup we could get. was the last time we got this far into the season and we had this much uncertainty as to who you would choose? Because I think there's like four teams in the AFC that I could see getting there. And there's three-ish probably in the NFC that I could see. I, I, think oh, the, I only see one in the NFC. I think the conference finals are going to be more entertaining than the Super Bowl this year. I mean, I think it's going to be, it has a chance to be a really fun postseason. Like Dallas just lost to the Jaguars. I don't think anybody should be surprised if they end up getting upset. The 49ers have Brock Purdy as their starting quarterback. The Eagles have really struggled over the last few weeks. And Jalen Hurts offensively when it comes to his passing game, like he has not looked like the same guy. He's still been quite good, but not the same guy that he was earlier on in the season. I think there's a lot of uncertainty on both sides. And then in the AFC, as much as the offenses are really fun from the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins, there have been times recently where they've all had their struggles. So I, as of today, I would probably pick the Bengals versus the Eagles. I don't have any sort of certainty or any sort of confidence in that selection, though. I, I think the matchup that I would really want to see, I, I would want to see the Chargers somehow find a way to get there and take on the Eagles. I, the Eagles are the only team that interests me to get to the Super the Bowl Chargers? out of the NFC. I, I find I find the Chargers be fascinating because I, I think they are building towards. I do not want to see the Chargers in the playoffs as a Chiefs fan. I'll tell you that right now. I, I, I have no interest. I, I know like uh, ESPN does their overreaction or what is it, overreaction, not a reaction, whatever on uh, piece on Mondays. 
And like they were saying, oh, the Chargers aren't a threat in the AFC playoffs. Yeah, I I disagree with that. Herbert's playing great. I know they struggled I just yesterday. Think the Chargers are awful. But I, they're playing better. Uh, Williams and Allen are a great duo. And then once they get that, de- I mean, the defense has been solid for them of late too. So I, I think they're a team that is going to be fun once you get to the postseason. I would say Chargers, Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, honestly, anybody in the AFC playoff picture minus Tennessee would be interesting to see go up against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I think the Chargers are going to finish 11 and 6 this year. They're probably going to win their next three games. And that is a team, if they're like a six seed in the AFC, I could absolutely see them doing damage. I, tell, yes or no, we'll just do this real quick. Could this team conceivably make a run to the Super Bowl? I'm not saying would you pick them. I'm saying, could you see a scenario in which this team could get to the Super Bowl, right? The Bills. Yes. Yes. Dolphins. Yes. No. You can't, you, there's no scenario. Tyreek Hill becomes Larry Fitzgerald for a postseason, has three straight games where he's got 200 plus yards. Jalen Waddell has a great game. There's there's no way you could see them at all getting I mean, I to the Super I, Bowl. I guess I can't say no, but I, I just, I feel like their defense can't get it done for them to get to a Super Bowl. But I, I mean, I think they're all every Yeah, game. that's true. So yeah, I, I should say yes. Uh, Bengals. Yes. Yes. Chiefs. Yes. Yes. Chargers. Yes. I don't think so. I'd think so. Uh, Eagles. Yes. yes. Cowboys. Yes. I could see it. Yes. Vikings. No. No. I could see it, but they'd have to get super lucky. Uh, Buccaneers. <laughs> no. <laughs> 49ers. Yes. No. I think yes as well. I've got nine teams. Nine teams. We are in week 15 of the NFL season, and I think there's at least a chance for nine different teams to represent their respective conference in the Super Bowl. Did you say that I didn't even think of? You didn't say Cowboys? Yeah, you said the Cowboys. You didn't say the Giants? Are the Giants not in it right now? You could see a path for the Giants and not for the the Dolphins? You You just said no on the Dolphins, and now you're saying, could I see the Giants? No. Defense wins championships, BK, not offense. The Giants' defense isn't that good. That's a fact. No, no, no. They're good. Coming up in 15 Watch minutes. tackle that guy in the end zone yesterday you're on just, a pass? You're just jealous. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are in or out. That's coming up in 15 minutes. But next, Ivan Barbashev looked real good on his line with Thomas and Cairo the other night. If he continues doing that moving forward, can he be a part of the team's future? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Thomas to Barbashev, they score! Ivan Barbashev! Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like on Friday as Ivan Barbashev has really started to come together, Alex. He's playing now on the penalty kill, getting some significant minutes there. His five-on-five time has gone up a little bit, and now he's playing with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo on that line. I have been the guy that over the last two years, full disclosure, has said, hey, Ivan Barbashev is probably going to get a four-plus million dollar contract on a multi-year deal, and that likely prices him out of St. Louis after his current contract is up. That is not because I dislike Ivan Barbashev. It's just the reality of where they're at right now, salary cap-wise. And last year, I also said the shooting percentage for Ivan Barbashev made it unlikely that he would be able to repeat last year's performance when it came to his goal-scoring production. So far this year, he has five goals, 10 assists in his first 30 games. He's at a 40-point pace so far this season. Alex, what if this continues? 
And Ivan Barbashev plays well on that line with Thomas and Kyrou. And it looks like that is a line that you can build around. What would he have to do on that line for you to then say, you know what? If he ends up on a four, like the Brandon Saad type of deal, four years, $4 million per, what would he have to do on that line to be able to earn that here in St. Louis from you? I don't know if there's anything he could do to earn that for me because, I mean, yeah, if he scores 25 goals again and puts up 60 points like he did last season, I could I could hear the argument for it because he's young, and if you get him for a four-year deal, it's a hell of a player to have. But I truly think Ivan Barbashev is at best a third-line winger for you. Uh, he hasn't been good at the center position. He's played more of the wing, and he's a goal scorer, but it's such a streaky season in terms of goals for Ivan Barbashev. I just think for the amount of money you'd have to pay to keep Barbashev, because look, he's 27 years old. He's hit the first time where he can actually be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, I I think he's going to want to actually get some good money. And I think the money that he's going to want, the Blues might be needed to spend that elsewhere. Because I think Ivan Barbashev is a third-line winger, and I think you're going to be lacking in your top six after this season. Would you say Brandon Saad is a third-line winger at this point in his career as well? So Mm -hmm. let's say that he ends up asking for the same type of a contract. Four years, four mil per. But then I'm signing two guys and I'm got $8 million tied up to two third liners. And I have a huge hole in my top six. Who's so, my top six next year. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just going down this path in, in this hypothetical scenario. Cause I was told that I was crazy all along for not thinking that Barbie is a long-term member of the future here. But in, in this scenario, then what you're saying is there's just nothing reasonable that Barbie could do that would change your mind on re-signing him to the contract that he's likely to command. Not to the contract that he's likely to command. If, if you'd be able to get him for a little bit cheaper, I think maybe I could look into that. But it's not that I don't want Ivan Barbashev. I did think Ivan was going to be a long-term piece for this team until we got to the position where we were handing out money to Nick Letty and then signing all of these guys. I, I just... If you go down this hypothetical path where O'Reilly's not on the team and Tarasenko's not on the team and you re-sign Ivan Barbashev, I I love it because Ivan Barbashev is a hell of a player and I want that guy on my team. But then my top six is Thomas, Kairou, Buchnevich, Ryan O'Reilly, Brandon Saad, or not Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, Brandon Saad, and Ivan Barbashev. And then I'm filling in the rest of my team with the Jake Neighbors and the Zachary Bulldukes and the Logan Browns, because I'm not going to have a lot of money to sign a guy to play in my top six. And I don't even know if they're going to have enough money to sign a guy in the top six if they don't re-sign Ivan Barbashev. But I just think there's two ways to go this. You either have depth at the forward and have a lot of guys who can score, or you're you're top-heavy in your top six. And I just think if you sign Ivan Barbashev, you got that depth, but there's not a whole lot of depth beyond that. I think there's there's a lot of truth to that, but reason why I bring this up is because if he ends up showing that he's got some real chemistry with Thomas and Kairou, and you can get that guy for a few million bucks, he plays penalty kill. He's on the power play right now. I don't know if that's going to be a long-term thing for him, but right now he's on that power play unit for you. And you're two guys that you're building around. They have made this very, very clear at this point because of the contract that Thomas and Kairou have earned. If he's a guy that can be there with them long-term and that frees up Buchnevich to be on that, second line, first line, however you want to categorize them. I do think there's a scenario where I would at least consider giving him that kind of a deal. Now, I'm not going out there and giving him crazy money. I'm not going to do like a six-year, $5 million per year type of a contract, but I could see how like it's a little more in terms of the term, but like Mason Marshman this past offseason got a four-year deal worth $4.5 million per year. 
That's probably the kind of market that I would assume Ivan Barbashev is, is going to be in. And like David Perron got a two-year deal worth $4.75 million per year. I think that's kind of the range that you're probably looking at because Barbie is so much younger. He's going to be, what, his age 28 season mm-hmm. next year? You're hoping that you're getting the prime of Ivan Barbashev as a 15 to 20 goal scorer, realistically, probably a 50 point guy. He's going to be for somebody what Brandon Saad has been for the Blues. And I guess the question then becomes, did the Brandon Saad signing take you out of the Ivan Barbashev market? And probably it did. Um, And the only thing with Brandon Saad is Brandon Saad has regularly been a 25 goal scorer. And Ivan Barbashev only did it once for you. And that's the issue. Saad was also older. Sada is, what, 31 right now? Mm-hmm. And he signed that deal when he was 29. going into his age 30 season, I think, something like that. Yeah, I thought he was – because, yeah, this would be his second year. So, yeah, something like that. So, yeah, he's basically age 30 and then 30 through 33 or whatever it is. Here's, here's my concern, though, with this. If, if you were to go down this – and, again, I love Ivan Barbashev. I think he would be a perfect piece to have. But I, I'm looking at the way that I'm forming my team. And Barbashev, Shen, Saad, Thomas, Kairu, Buchnevich. That's my six. I'm not going to be able to get O'Reilly, not getting Tarasenko, not really making any upgrades. So then my third line is going to be Jake Neighbors and Torpchenko and Nolachari if I bring them back. And then your fourth line is, I mean, Logan Brown. And I mean, you're, you're, you got a lot of youth that you're going to be putting at the back end of your, your, your lines. And you could do it if you're the Colorado Avalanche because you're star heavy at the top. But I don't think you're star heavy at the top to be able to do that. So rather than the $4 million for Ivan Barbashev, I think I would rather not do that and see if I can spend 5 or $6 million for a guy who's more of a top six forward. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 618. Guys, I think it's great to have a young Mr. Dependable on that line. He makes up for some of what Kairou lacks defensively. Barbie is smart. He gets to the right spot. He keeps a stick on the ice. He can get 60 points every year. Kairou and Thomas will find him. That's why I think the Blues should seriously consider re-signing him. Here's another thing that you got to remember. It's all about the opportunity cost, well, right? We, and, but we were also saying the same thing about Alexi Torpchenko after the first game that he played with Thomas and Kyrie like, oh, damn, he looks good. Why would you take him off that line? I think we do know, though, like, Torpchenko's probably a fourth liner. And that, like, in a be- in a Bite your best case scenario for the Blues, he's playing that role. Same thing for, for Noel Chari. Noel Chari, in the best case scenario for the Blues, is a fourth line centerman for you. If you need him to play up or down the lineup, he can. But he's on a, on a really good team, on a true contender. Those guys are probably both playing fourth line types of minutes. Barbashev can reasonably play top nine minutes for a contender. He can. He he can. He has a scores touch where he could, and I, I say that as somebody who of the three of us is probably the lowest on Barbashev, both in the near and the long term, but he, he has the ability to do that, and he showed it last year, and he's showing it again right now with those two guys on that line. I think the reason why you'd consider bringing him back, and I know this is where it's going to be real tough for a lot of people, I think it's probably a conversation of Barbie free agent X, whoever that mystery man is. We don't know who that's going to be right now or O'Reilly. I think you could probably only do one of those three things. You either bring in a free agent. That is probably a goal scoring type of a winger to add that scoring depth that you're talking about, Alex, you re-sign Ryan O'Reilly or you bring back Ivan Barbashev. And that's where it gets real interesting to me. What would you bet on? If it's going to be a four year deal, would you rather bet on O'Reilly for the next four years or Barbie for the next four years? given what their current roles are, what their future roles look like, and who they would be playing with on this team. That's where it gets interesting, in my opinion. Yeah. 
I because I, I think the answer should be easy. Like a year ago, we would have made this an easy answer. It's O'Reilly, sign him up. Let's get yeah. it done. Right now, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I I I think it's probably O'Reilly for the way that he plays. But I mean, age and speed are obviously very important factors in this. And Barbashev's younger, plays faster, and plays more physical than Ryan O'Reilly. But Ryan O'Reilly, when he's on his game is a difference maker. And that's where I think it comes down to who do I have? Like late late minutes in a game, who's on the ice for me? Is it O'Reilly or Barbashev? And it's O'Reilly every single game. Right now? Is it going to be that way two years from now? I'm asking this in all seriousness. Like, I I mean, he's... I, I mean, I think so. Because, I mean, every situation, he plays. He, he wins faceoffs for you. He's smart defensively. I mean, look at the ice time that has gone up for him over these last four games. And the team has been playing a lot better. They've been bought in. Ivan Barbashev is playing on your penalty kill. He's playing with Thomas and Kyra. But late in games, he's not on the ice for you. Barbie, at the end of his next contract, will be the age that O'Reilly is now. At the end of his next contract. O'Reilly will be starting his next year in his next deal at the age of 32. I, I, I know that it it sounds weird to say, hey, you might consider signing Barbie over O'Reilly. I think the likelihood is it's option number three. Like That's they go I to think. the free agent market and it's neither O'Reilly nor Barbie. It ends up being whoever this mystery man is that comes in and can score them conceivably 25 goals next year. I think that's the most likely path that the Blues decide to take. But I, I think that it's – I don't think that it should be just completely dismissed that Barbie ends up being the guy that maybe is the better long-term signing than O'Reilly. And I know how crazy that sounds. I, I really do. Um, and I love O'Reilly, and I would like him to be back next year. And if it's a reasonable deal that both sides can make happen, do it. I'm more than happy to have him back here in St. Louis. But I, I think that it, it could come down to a really difficult decision just as it was with Petro, just as it has been with David Perron, and it's going to be somebody else's upcoming offseason that you have to lose that you don't want to lose. Alex, there's somebody else that's coming back. Though. I was going to say, can it be option four for the guy that's returning tonight? How you feeling about Logan Brown getting back into the lineup? Break wide near wing, Burke in. Going back to Brown, he shoots, oh. he scores! What a goal! Took that big body of his, he dropped down to one knee, and he goes high, cheese. Get it in, Brown at the 10-second mark. Put another one right on goal. Oh, big hit behind the net thrown by Logan Brown. Oh. He went flying into the body Logan of Yanni so Hockenbach. Your hero is back, ladies and gentlemen. This is not my hero. No, this is our hero. <laughs> Speak for yourself, This is sir. our hero. This is our hero, Logan Brown, recalled from his conditioning Where's he get assignment. Where's those highlights from? He doesn't have a point this year. Oh, preseason, baby. Where he was our hero. He was our hero. Guys, it only took Logan Brown two games on a conditioning assignment for the Blues to say, this guy's got it. He proved his This uh, guy's got it. They sent down my favorite player, dang it, for Logan Brown. Yeah, he was bit by Logan Brown, top three Bring moved by Doug William. Armstrong. Now. Maybe he was a minus three in two games for the Springfield Thunderbirds. Oh That's not really gosh. what I'm concerned about. He picked up two, two assists. Two primary assists. Joking aside here, this goes two ways. You either, th- this is the blue saying, all right, last shot, Logan. You're either a part of this team or you are destined for the American Hockey League until your contract is up and then you're an RFA once again. This is the Zach Sanford fork in the road moment. Yep, this is the moment where Doug Armstrong's cost in. You're on the fourth line, and if you can't play on the fourth line, then you're done. Yep, because they they, they don't have anybody 
in for the fourth line. Like Tyler Pitlick played four minutes and 31 seconds against Edmonton. And then they went with, um, God, who was in the lineup for the Calgary game on the fourth line? It, it was, was Pitlick. No, they took Pitlick out. It was oh, Nathan Walker. Walker and Bitten. They put Bitten back in. And Bitten barely played in that game. That's a mistake. They're looking for somebody to play on your fourth line. The hope is Logan Brown offensively can do what he did in the preseason to where then you put the big body with Thomas and Cairo and Barbashev becomes a fourth liner. Yeah, I just said that. No. Worst case scenario, though, <laughs> no. you, you need eight competitive minutes out of Logan Brown on your fourth line. And this is his last shot. You excited about hero. it? You're, you're darn tootin' I am. I want this man to succeed. He's going to Wally, Wally, what is it, the guy's, a Canuck? We, we joke, six but it would be six. really good for the Blues if they end up being right about this. We were banking, well, I was banking on Brown or Neighbors being effective in your top nine this season. You needed them to be effective in your top nine. Nobody's panned out for you. So you need one of those two to take that because that adds scoring depth to this team if they don't. What needs to change for him this time around? And, and well, like it, stay we, healthy, we joke, first of all. <laughs> I know. We joke and because I thought you were too high on Logan Brown coming into the season relative to expectations. But this team really could use a player like Logan Brown because of his size, because of his hands. Like He could be that depth of scoring player that they're missing right now. What needs to change for him to become that, though, to actually produce at the NHL level on a consistent basis? Well, if he's going to be a centerman, which he should be because he's six foot six, he, he needs to win faceoffs, and he has not been good in the faceoff. He's not going to be a centerman for this team, though, right now. Who's he starting at center over? Well, like they just don't they don't have a spot for him. He's going to have to be right a winger now. right now. Yeah, you're going to have to be a winger unless you put him at the center to take faceoffs and then shift him over to the wing. But you really need him to dish out. You need him to be a playmaker, and you need him to use his big body. It wouldn't surprise me if you see him on the fourth line and they use him as a power forward and say, go to the front of the net. Noel Achari can move the puck, and then you're going to have Torupchenko, who's got speed. Those are two guys that are six foot five and bigger playing with Noel Achari. So to, to him be consistent, go to the front of the net and don't turn the puck over and win faceoffs when you're called upon. That's what Logan Brown just needs to do on a consistent basis because he's got the ability to make plays with the puck on his stick. It's just a matter of he turns the puck over too much. The Blues are back in action tonight. We'll see if Logan Brown ends up being in the lineup. Blues at the Canucks. Pre-game coverage for that one with Alex Ferrario begins at 8.30. We'll have the puck drop for you right here on 101 ESPN starting at 9.30. Coming up next, 65780 is your comfort service text line for in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Let's start with this one from the three one four guys in or out. The Jaguars could realistically get to the Super Bowl this year. Out, out. Next question. Trevor Lawrence could get to the Super Bowl, but not the Jaguars. I okay. don't think they can run through that. They may make the playoffs because they may come back and beat the tight. Or might might make the playoffs. I don't think might, might make I don't the think, playoffs. I don't think defensively they can make that run. And I, I and like if they were in the NFC, yeah, I could easily see them. If they were in the, the NFC West. AFC's a gauntlet. <laughs> like every team, I think that makes the playoffs minus whoever gets at, comes out of the AFC South 
has a legitimate shot to go on a run, so I'm out on this. So the Jaguars would have to win out, which means beating the Jets in New York, they could do that. Beating the Texans in Houston, they could do that. And then winning at home in the final week of the season against the Titans. It's at least possible. It's totally in play that they end up winning out and making the playoffs. Where it gets really tough is what you said, Tanner. Can they realistically win three straight games against, I mean, the likelihood is the Chiefs and then the Bengals and then the Bills. Can they do that? I don't think so. They have to outscore their opponent. That's the recipe for winning. But what I'm saying is... They have is, to score more points than no, the team No, that's that not play. what that's I just said. I so said I they just, have to outscore their opponent. Their defense is not good. Oh, I they just, have to win shootouts. Yeah. I just looked at what you guys... So I just looked at their schedule to see who they've beaten in the playoff picture in the AFC, not the NFC. They are 3-1 and one against teams in the playoff picture in the AFC. Who'd they beat? They beat... They killed the Chargers 38-10. Wow, but that was easy. when That was when Herbert was dealing with the rib issue. Uh, they've beaten. The, oh, they lost. Their up? one loss was to the Chiefs. They lost by ten to them in Kansas City. They beat the Ravens, but I'm not sure if Lamar was playing. They beat them. He was. That they beat doesn't them matter. Twenty-eight, twenty-seven, and who was the other? Oh, they beat the Titans in Tennessee, thirty-six, twenty-two. So they are three and one against teams that are technically in the AFC playoff yeah, picture. But zero oh and one against the teams that matter. Like the the teams that they're going to Titans have. stink, Ravens stink, no, Chargers I, I, stink. I'm saying if they're going to make the, make it to the Super Bowl, really what we're talking about is can they beat the Chiefs, the Bengals, or the Bills? And I I think that could they beat the one of those three? Yeah, I think they could beat the Bills. I think they could beat any of those three in one game. Parlaying that with two more wins against the other two teams, I just think it's incredibly unlikely. So I I don't think there's a path. Uh, 65780 is the error comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Tommy Edmond finishes the 2023 season with a better overall resume than Dansby Swanson. Oh, I'm in on that. Tommy Edmond better this upcoming season than Dansby Swanson. I think I would say in. If you look at like wins above replacement, I think Tommy Edmond will have a higher wins above replacement at the end of the year than Dansby. I think Dansby's going to struggle in Chicago now that he's on a different team and now he is the focal point of that team. Yeah, I... I think I'm in on this. I I wouldn't even just base it off of war because he's going to be higher up in war just based on his defensive accolades. But that's supposed to be the thing that Swanson's good at. Yeah, I I just I kind of agree where I think Swanson is not a guy that I would say is someone that and I don't want to say he can't handle the pressure, but is he really a guy that can be the focal point of an offense? I'm not sure he can be. So I could see where he struggles. That lineup. I mean, we've talked about they've got Suzuki. They've got Hap. Um Wisdom's like their next best hitter, unless there's someone I'm forgetting. Oh, Bell- they got Bellinger too. And Saints, and Nico and, uh, yeah, so like, what's the? Uh, so like the, lineup, the lineup's fine, but like, I'm not sure there's enough protection around Swanson. So I think he might struggle. So I think I'm in on this. I think Edmund will have the better resume. Yeah, I think I'm, he'll get more All Star votes if you go by that. He may be an All Star next year. Tommy Edmund might be. Uh, Dansby might be too because nobody else is good enough on the Cubs to get in. Oh Appreciate well. It. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service. Stupid all star rules. Everyone got to get in for in or out, guys. In or out by the end of the season, Joe Burrow will be the one that ends up winning the MVP. I'll say I'm in on this. Oh really? Yeah. I, I still think Patrick Mahomes is going to be. It's going to be a tight race because I think Mahomes is probably still at number one. But I mean, Burrow, if he continues this the rest of the way. And the so, way that he's performed, I think so. This is going to paint me into the corner of sounding like a homer. It is what it is. What has Burrow done better this year than Patrick Mahomes? Everything. I, I, and I'm, I'm being totally serious. What has Mahomes has had Kelsey all season long? 
I mean, Burroughs lost Chase for what? Six weeks. He was without Higgins for a majority of this season. For one week. He's been in and out a lot this season. Yeah. Played the vast majority of the season. And he's had at least one of of those guys every single week this year. And you've had a pretty solid offensive line. I think the two offensive lines are comparable. And the running game is significantly better for the Bengals. And they have the same record on the season. And the numbers are better right now for Patrick Mahomes than they are for Joe Burrow. And I'm not, I love Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow should be top three in the MVP. But if like the conversation is far more interesting to me when you're talking about, should it be Patrick Mahomes versus like Jalen Hurts? Because they're totally different stylistically, Mm -hmm. but Burrow and Mahomes win the same way. They're scramblers that win mostly with their arms. And I, I, there's no number that would indicate that Burrow should be winning the MVP over Patrick Mahomes right now. None. I, I agree with you, so I, I'm out on this. I And I just think, too, that it's just too late for this surge to come from Joe Burrow. Had he done this, like, I don't know, starting in week eight, and he'd been playing really well for, I don't know what week we're in anymore, 15. So if he's been doing it for, like, seven straight weeks, then I think it's a conversation. But the fact of the matter that it's only been building for, like, the last three weeks, it to me, it's too late. I, I think your front runners are Mahomes and Hurts. And I think it's basically those two guys going at it for the MVP. And I think Mahomes has even got a pretty big advantage on Hurts so far this year. I think Mahomes has already kind of run away with it. I think the only guy that can still catch him is potentially Hurts. I think Mahomes just has a far worse supporting cast than these other teams. I understand that he's got Kelsey. I'm with you. Kelsey's, in my opinion, one of the three or four greatest tight ends in the history of the NFL. But his defense is awful. Like, we've watched these games lately. The Chiefs' defense is really bad, yeah, guys. Like he 24 of the Texans. And, like, Juju Smith-Schuster mm-hmm. is a, a really solid role-playing wide receiver. He would be the worst of the number two pass catchers on the Bengals or the Eagles. Like, his situation is not as good as it has been in previous years. And yet, despite all of that, he's putting together arguably his best season of his NFL career. Matt Patrick Mahomes has. I know the numbers, he's not going to throw like 50 touchdowns probably this year. But he's at 35. He's going to have a really good season this year. So I I would go Mahomes as well, especially because so far over the last couple of weeks, Hurts has really slowed down. This might be a dumb question, but I was told in school there are no dumb questions. So, they lied. Uh, I, I think the Chiefs wide receiver, before we're on the front end here, the Chiefs wide receiver group is better than the Giants wide receiver group, yes. in my opinion, by a lot. Yeah, the but Giants have put, one of the worst wide receiver cores in the NFL. Well, you know, you didn't, we didn't have to be that harsh. Are you really comparing uh, the Chiefs and Giants wide but, receiver But no, groups? but what I'm saying is, like, I think, you know, we had this conversation, I think, last week. If you put Mahomes on the Giants, are his numbers similar? I think they are. I, I think Mahomes would still put up very similar numbers, maybe a little bit less, maybe less touchdown passes, but I think he'd still be similar in terms of where he's at. You put, like, Hurts on that roster? I don't think so. I, I don't think Hurts has the success he's having. And this, this is where it gets really tough because, like, Hurts needs a specific system to be able to succeed, and you need an offensive coordinator that's willing to call the game that way. Like, we saw last year what Justin Fields looks like in a system that doesn't suit him. Well, it doesn't go well. But this year, he's in a good situation where they're actually calling plays the way that they should be for his skill set, and he looks awesome when he's doing it. Same thing is true for, uh, for Hurts as well. Mahomes just, he is the system. The system is, what does Patrick Mahomes do? He does everything. He's just really good. And so I I don't necessarily typically vote an MVP from that, but whatever criteria you want to look at this year, I do think there's a really strong argument that it's one of Mahomes versus Hurts. I, I would not have Burrow win that. I think he's in the second tier of MVP candidates this year for me. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next... Guys, I got to talk about one of the other fellow NL contenders because as much as people are down on what the Cardinals have done this offseason, 
I think there's one other National League contender that has clearly had a worse offseason than the Cardinals. I'll tell you who that is and how far of a step they could take back after last season. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But Alex, I think there is a National League contender that's having an even worse offseason than the Cardinals. And I don't even think that the Cardinals are necessarily having a bad offseason. But if you're a Dodgers fan right now, woo, buddy. There are reasons for legit concern. What are now, you talking about? I want to say this up front. J.D. Martinez. I don't think that the Dodgers are suddenly going to become a 75-win team. They're not bad. They're, they're still a, a pretty good baseball team. But as of today, it's hard for me to put them in the same category as the Braves, the Mets, or the Phillies. I think you could make an argument that the Cardinals have even passed them in the National League. And I know for some Cardinals fans, that may sound weird. But listen to this. Here are the players so far, Alex, that the Car- that the Dodgers have lost this offseason. Trey Turner. He's good. Tyler Anderson. Justin Turner. Cody Bellinger. Chris Martin. Andrew Heaney. Joey Gallo. I still believe they're going to have Justin Turner back. For what it's worth. He's a Red Sox. He, he oh, he signed already? He's, oh, I missed that. <laughs> I, I, Clearly. I missed that. I didn't realize I he signed. I not if you were serious or not. I was no. like, wait, no, what? I, I missed that. I didn't realize they signed him. <laughs> Justin Turner, no longer a Dodger. Wow. Uh, instead, they basically replaced him uh, with J.D. Martinez, and Noah Syndergaard has been added to their rotation I think Noah Syndergaard is a step back from Tyler Anderson. I think J.D. Martinez is a step back from those bats that I just mentioned. They've done nothing to replace Trey Turner, who's one of the best players in all of baseball. Man, Gavin Lux. I understand that they've got Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy. Pretty solid one through four in your lineup. You go beyond that, this lineup suddenly lacks some real depth. Trace Thompson is batting in the top six. Gavin Lux is in their lineup right now. They're betting on some young guys to be able to come up and contribute in meaningful ways. Their rotation looks super sketchy. Clayton Kershaw, Julio Arias, Tony Gonsolin, Noah Syndergaard, Dustin May. You want to talk about some fragility, some injury risk? That's what the Dodgers have in their rotation. Their bullpen's got arms that I really like, but again, a lot of injury risk in the bullpen as well. Alex, this looks more like a nine. This looks like a Cardinals team from previous years where you got a couple of superstars that are going to prop you up and you're going to be good as a result. There is no reason, at least as I look at this roster right now, to consider them among the top contenders in the National League. Can you explain to me what's going on with the Dodgers right now? No, because I thought they were going to spend money. I thought they were going to go out. I mean, they were reportedly in on everything and then nothing came to fruition with it. Like, I still think the Dodgers have a great team. And I mean, they are in terms of the rotation, the same as the Cardinals in terms of banking on health for their pitchers, because if healthy, they got a lot of studs in their rotation. Do they? I think they do because I think Dustin Mays legit when he's been healthy. Urias is a ace. And then Clayton Kershaw, although he's old, Clayton Kershaw can provide for them still. I mean, Dustin May in the big leagues so far in his entire major league career has thrown 140 innings. That's over the last four seasons. Like banking on him to be healthy is well, that's, even that's more, what I'm saying. I, but what I'm saying is like the Cardinals are banking on Jack Flaherty to be healthy. And when he's been healthy, he's thrown like 175 to 190 innings. When Dustin May has been healthy, his best season was 55. 
Like it's, it's a very different bet that you're making. I understand that, but again, he's got the stuff to be legit if he stay healthy, and that's what it seems they're banking on, which is very confusing. And then on the offensive side, I mean, anytime you got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, you you have two of the best hitters in the game. But I'm with you. Beyond that, I don't trust their depth. Gavin Lux has never taken. I mean, they had to go get Trey Turner because they didn't trust Gavin Lux in that spot. You're losing Justin Turner, who surprisingly, guys, he signed with the Red Sox. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. knew that or not. Should have played the Breaking Breaking Sounder for you. Um, I mean, that's at least a consistent bat that you've had in there. And then in the outfield, I mean, their outfield has gone from two MVPs to one MVP and then two guys that are trying to become everyday and and, uh, major league baseball players. James Outman is their uh, projected starting outfielder. Did I I miss this too? Is is Chris Taylor not there? No, he's there. I mean, he's there. He just, boy, he's he's fallen from grace. Hasn't he from the dude that's like, Oh man, how do you get your Chris Taylor to is he even on the team still? Yeah, he was 10% below league average offensively, yeah. had a 300 on base percentage last Double year. Injuries every last year. every yeah. team hits this point at some at some time where it's like, all right, we we had this window. They got old. Yeah. That's what happened to them. They got old And they really didn't fast. transition fast enough. And this is where I got to give the Cardinals their credit. And I know nobody wants to do it, but one of the things that's been really impressive is that their core, when it ages out, they tend to have guys that are ready to go to back backfill from there. And if they don't, they go and acquire one. And what they have done really well over the years is that, like, Trey Turner, when they acquire that type of a player, he's either on a long-term deal already or they immediately get him signed to a new one. The Dodgers didn't do that with him. They did it with Mookie Betts, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. They got Freddie Freeman. They deserve a lot of credit for that signing. A lot of people on the text line right now are saying, hey, guys, didn't you hear? They're trying to reset their books to be able to go get Otani next offseason. Okay, cool. But what if Otani signs with the Mets? Now what are you doing? What if he goes to the Giants? That that is a really interesting notion of what they're trying to accomplish but setting things up a year from now for one player is a really bold strategy when there is no guarantee whatsoever that he's coming to your team specifically you're trying to win you're in your winning window right now if you're the Dodgers and they appear to be punting for a championship caliber season in 2023 that is just not what I was expecting from this kind of a team. I thought they would end up with one of those top three shortstops, and they ended up with none of them. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I, I thought they were going to be in on I, – I didn't think Turner was going to go back because it sounded like he wanted to go out east. That's one of those where it felt like, look, you, you traded for him, you'd love to have him here, but he just doesn't want to be here. He wants to go back home. So I then understood that Correa. one. Correa was one that it, it makes sense, and then you hear what the reports were of, you know, they feared the fan backlash and because of what happened Who in the World cares? Series. So I once you eliminate those two, I, I don't know if they had much interest in Bogarts because I think they feared the defense. Sure. Padres didn't care, and then they I don't have they, a third baseman though right now. Like and Max they Muncy's going to be the same playing way. there every day. Ooh. Yeah, and Swanson, Muncy was bad last year too, coming that's off of Ma- a wrist injury. That's why Machado's opting out. Uh, I but I do think part of it for the for the Dodgers was okay if we can't land one of the top free agents. They basically said, okay, let's punt to 2024. And I do think that's part of it. I think they are resetting the books to try and go after a massive offer for Otani. Or if Machado opts out, make a big push for Machado, who they've had on the roster prior uh, when they acquired him from Baltimore. So I I do think that's part of their strategy. And that's a strategy that I would find infuriating. I I wouldn't want to see you really punt on a season, especially when you have the resources to go and upgrade your team and make your team a quality team for the now being. But with that being said, I I think their roster is still good. I I don't know if I would favor them in the NL West. I think I might favor San Diego ahead I would go of them. San Diego for sure, at least on paper. But I, I think they're still a playoff team, and I, I think they're going to be a team that you know used to be based on their pitching that you looked at. And you went, oh wow, they've got Kershaw, they've got Urias, they've got Scherzer. 
now I think they're a f- offensive first-minded team. They remind me somewhat similar to what the Cardinals are kind of building, where you look at that rotation and you go, okay, if we hit our high, our rotation is going to be really good. At worst, we're probably going to sit kind of middle of the pack and have to be carried through the playoffs by our offense and just hope our pitching can keep us in a playoff series. I don't think their offense is as good as the Cardinals, though. Maybe not as a whole, but I think when you look at their like middle bats, it kind of reminds me of what the Cardinals' offense was last year, where if you look at that middle of that order and you go, okay, that could be really good. What about the rest? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still not sold on the Cardinals' offense, though. Like, you added the third impact bat, absolutely, but you're still banking on a lot of guys to be impactful, and if the, it comes down the, to it, you got Freeman and Betts that are going to perform. Sure, and I've got Goldie and Arnado. Like, you, you've got Will Smith. I've got Wilson Contreras. Like, we can go one for one throughout this entirety of the lineup. Who's and then the Max Muncie for the Cardinals? Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, yeah I'm like, not, I, I would take Max Muncie over that. Based on what, though? They have basically the exact same track record of one unbelievable season and then otherwise slightly underperforming relative I mean, to that one. Muncie just gets on base every time. Yeah, and Tyler O'Neill in his, his one season was an MVP candidate, just like Max Muncie was. And then you look down further in the lineup. Like, the depth of the Cardinals lineup today just by projections, is better than the Dodgers. Like, definitively, no doubt about it, they have more depth in their lineup than the Dodgers do currently. Dylan Carlson right now in this lineup that I'm looking at is projected to hit ninth for the Cardinals this upcoming season. The Dodgers have Trace Thompson, who's a probably comparable player right now to Dylan Carlson, projected to bat seventh in their lineup. They've got Gavin Lux, who has been a well-below-expected performer in the big leagues, batting sixth, and J.D. Martinez, who was down last year and was only good against lefties, really, batting fifth. Their lineup is just super meh right now. Like, if you told me today, if nothing else changes, and they might have something else up their sleeve that we just don't see happening right now. I think the Cardinals today are a better baseball team than the Dodgers on paper. It might not play out that way. Injuries might end up crippling the, the Cardinals, and it goes in favor. They got some good injury luck for the Dodgers. But today... I think that the Cardinals are a better baseball team than the Dodgers are. And if I'm a Dodgers fan, that is infuriating, dude. I get it. They're trying to reset their books. They want to make a big splash next offseason. Worry about next offseason when you get to next offseason. Well, you, better, you better make the splash because if you don't, you're you're headed for a down spiral really quick. Yeah, it's it's just a... Because Urias is a free agent, right? And Clayton Kershaw is probably going to retire. Yeah. It, I. You better reset the books quick. I don't understand what the Dodgers are trying to do right now. And, and to your and to the point on the offense, like I, I look at the Cardinals offense and it's same with the Dodgers. There's kind of like three guys that you have the guarantee for. And we just ran through those guys, your superstars in your lineup. I mean you look at that Dodgers lineup, I mean, there's not a whole lot of extreme upside. There's more of a disappointing year out of most of those guys, like Trace Thompson, like the floor is really bad. The ceiling not very high. When you look at the Cardinals players that are like that fifty fifty, how's it gonna go? Like we've talked about it. New bars upside. I mean he could be a potential 280 hitter, get on base, have 20 home run pop, be an all-star. Tyler O'Neill, his upside could be another legitimate MVP caliber player. Dylan Carlson, same guy. That could be like 260, 270, have 20 home run power. Like, I see more upside in some of the guys that the Cardinals are banking on rather than what I see in the Dodgers. For the Dodgers, all I see is a floor that looks like an uh, empty pit that I go, oh, gosh, I don't know if I want that in my lineup. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. I need to clear something up because what I said about Max Muncy, people are very upset about. I get it. Max Muncy, when he had his first big season for the Dodgers, was 27 years old. He had a 161 OPS plus. He was awesome that season. That was in 2018. Again, 27 years old. Last year, Tyler O'Neill was 27 years old. The difference between those two is that it took a long time for Max Muncy to get there. And then when he did, I said he had one big season. It's more than that. He's had like 
two and a half really significant seasons in the big leagues. So far, Tyler O'Neill has had one really big season in the big leagues. That big season for him would have been right up there with the best season that Max Muncy's had offensively. And he's a much better player defensively as well. So if you're going to buy wins above replacement, they're they're right in that same category together. So, yeah, I, right now, if you told me I've got to bet on one of those two players between Muncy and O'Neill, I would probably bet on O'Neill next year because of the age curve. Next year, Muncy's going to be 32 and Tyler O'Neill is going to be 28 or 27 years old. Yeah, that, that matters in a significant way. And if we're going by the upside bats that you have in your lineup, the Cardinals have more upside baked into their lineup than the Dodgers do. The Dodgers are hoping for guys that are going to be right above league average. The Cardinals are betting on guys that could be 20%, 30% above league average if things go the right way. It probably won't. That's like the 80th or 90th percentile outcome for these players. But if it does, it the Cardinals have more upside baked into their lineup than the Dodgers do. We could argue about the the um, pitching staffs, the rotation specifically. I think that there, there's a lot more interest there. I think the lineup is clearly in favor of the Cardinals right now. And to that point, I I sent this to the group chat uh, last week. The number of players per team with a WRC plus over 110 by streamer. Cardinals with 11, Dodgers with 8. The the Dodgers lineup has suddenly become very thin. Very thin right now. So um, the, the National League is super interesting. The biggest spenders, the best teams, in my opinion, are all in the East with the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies. And then I think it comes down to the Padres probably as that fourth team. And then the Dodgers and Cardinals battling it out right now to be the number five contender in the National League. I did not expect to say that going into the offseason, but the Dodgers, I think, have completely fumbled the offseason. I think they messed it up. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're getting back to the Blues. Special teams once again coming to the forefront for the Blues against the Canucks. This is a team that you should be able to take advantage of on the power play. The penalty kill got its work cut out for it once again. We'll talk about that coming up in 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up here in about five minutes or so. We're talking about this Blues special teams once again. But right now, it's time to dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you got for us today? You know how sometimes in life you just have to gamble on yourself and hope that it pans out for the best? Of course. You do that on like a financial thing where you go all in. All in on blackjack. Well, do you guys remember Aaron Judge's 60-second home run being hit in Texas? Mm Mm-hmm. And, the guy and then that, that guy that was the financial advisor or yeah, whatever was like, I'm like not a, selling this. But wasn't it like a skewed story? He wasn't a financial advisor or something? Oh, really? Oh, that I don't know. I thought something had come out. Well, maybe I overread it or something. If he is a financial advisor, he kind of stinks at finance because he Uh-oh. was offered $3 million up front when he caught that home run ball. Someone offered him $3 million on the spot to get that home run ball. He said, no, no, I want to keep it. He put it up for auction. You know how much the total bidding ended up at? One point. No. Let's say seven hundred fifty grand. One point five million dollars. Going to say one point two. He got fifty percent less than what he was than what Couldn't he was you originally call a guy back offered. And say hey, three million. I wonder if that price dropped because he was a free agent, and they wondered if he was going to be not coming back to the Yankees, and it lowered the price. I think the price dropped because we all pretended that we cared about this home run chase Whoa. that doesn't actually matter. I, I'm sorry, Whoa. man. On the top, listen. Row. It. 
You're not good, Aaron Judge. No, he's great. He's Overrated. awesome. But it was a manufactured home run chase, and we all know it. Him chasing Maris was cool, and I get why it matters in New York. I really do. Like, the total bases this year for Albert Pujols. That was really cool when he passed Oh, so now Stan you don't care about list. Albert Pujols' no, list. No, 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 no. I'm doing the opposite. In St. Louis, that mattered. Were they talking about that in L.A. or New York? No, probably not. You know why? Because they were doing the chase for 700. Because that was the number that really mattered nationally for Albert. The idea that this was, like, what was it, the seventh best home run Something single like season that, yeah. ever? Like, come on. Really? Really? Are you guys, are you, am I wrong? Man, I did not expect this to happen. I, I, am I wrong? BK hates watching history. I mean, also, I did you see the report that came incredible. out that there were like juice baseballs that were used during oh, Yankees yeah. games? Well. Here we go. At this point, like baseball not, Every not having juiced. a yeah, Well, and, and let's be honest. At this point, baseball not having a baseball that they use for a full 162 games, don't call me shocked. I just would like to know the person that offered him $3 million on the spot. Like, you got that money somewhere? Imagine if you're that guy. You gonna today. show that to me? You gonna show me that account where you're Venmoing me three mil? Or you got a suitcase somewhere? Because otherwise, I don't believe you got three million dollars. You're ready to that, drop that right guy, now. That guy has to be thinking, "Oh, I'm really glad he didn't take my offer." <laughs> Seriously, I, I wonder how many beers deep that individual was when they said, "I give you three million dollars for that ball right now." So I just found this report that I'm I'm referencing here. Oh, here we go. This report obtained 200 different baseballs across the 2022 Major League Baseball season and playoffs. Some were old school juiced baseballs. Others were dead, quote unquote, baseballs. And then there were some that were somewhere in between. They called those the Goldilocks balls. And based on where they found these baseballs, the vast majority of the quote unquote Goldilocks balls came during Yankees games. The vast majority. Most Goldilocks balls showed up in 2020 postseason or regular season Yankees games. Almost every other baseball in every other location was dead at that point. Hmm. Wonder why they did that, guys. Why was the baseball dead for every other game and not when the Yankees were playing? Okay. Any guesses? Stop reading fake headlines. Yeah, man. It's not a real news story. Good for Aaron Judge. Goldilocks balls were in St. Louis, too. He shouldn't have even got a million for it. Unbelievable. Waste of money. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including what I believe was the craziest weekend of the NFL season. It threw all of the standings upside down, and it's got all of us wondering, do we even know anything about any of these teams? We'll get into that coming up in 10 minutes. But coming up next, time for special teams to once again come to the forefront for the St. Louis Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Over the Flames line to Shin. Far side, they shoot, they score! Kairou on a rush goal. Power play for the Blues, 2-1. to one. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was what it sounded like on Friday night as the Blues score on the power play, which has been a problem for them a bit. Even during this winning stretch, the Blues power play is at just 11%, Alex, in their last six games. The PK, though, has been much better. They've killed off 13 of their last 15 power plays against. Now, they did have a couple of struggles on Friday night or uh, against Edmonton and that's because you went up against Connor McDavid. That guy's pretty good at the hockey stuff. Nah, so man. it is what it is. You got to keep this up, though. The penalty kill has been better, and it's changed in part because of the personnel that they're using out there. Sod and Barbie have been a huge boost for them. 
and that needs to continue tonight. You're going up against the Vancouver Canucks. You'll hear pregame coverage with Alex starting at 8.30. The Canucks are seventh in the NHL this season, Alex, on the power play. This is a unit that will test your PK to see, is that real? Or did you just get lucky over a short stretch of games? And then when it comes to the Blues power play, this is a good get-right spot. Because the Canucks this year have really struggled. They are somehow actually worse than the Blues on the penalty kill this year. They're 31st in the NHL at just 68%. The Blues are 30th at 69%. Special teams are really going to be at the forefront in this one. Yeah, and I'm... I'm more looking at the power play because I think the penalty kill has figured something out. And Craig Bruby has said it. It's it's the compete, but on top, it's the ability to use Barbashev and Saad right now, which they're not only killing off plays, they're creating offensive plays themselves on the penalty kill. So that benefits them. I'm actually very optimistic that the penalty kill has figured something out. The power play is still the concern because... It's very evident you don't have that one-time shot. We've talked a lot about it this season, and they're trying to figure it out without that one-time shot. And doing that means you're you're overcomplicating it. You're passing too much, and you're passing up shooting opportunities because you're looking for that perfect play. And when you're looking for that perfect play, you get it, and then you miss the net, and the puck's coming out of the zone. It just takes this team so long to get set up on the power play that as soon as it comes out, that's going to kill about 30 seconds off of that two-minute power play for your team. So that's the focus I really want them to capitalize on. Sometimes you just need kind of a feel-good game, and this is your chance to do that against a really bad penalty kill. So hopefully you can figure it out in terms of Robert Thomas shooting the puck more. I think in the last couple of games he's got nine shots on goal, and he's only missed the net once. Hopefully you can get him to shoot it a little bit more. Kairou's been feeling it. You got to get a little bit more chemistry on that power play. Less passing and more shooting, in my opinion. See, it's interesting because I actually think I have a better read on what the power play is than what I do on the penalty kill. And the penalty kill's been better of late. And I, I think that might be they're trending in that direction to where I'm going to say in two weeks, that okay, the PK is fixed. But I do want to see it against better power play teams in terms of how they look against the opponent because they are playing that more aggressive nature, and sometimes that can come back to bite you. The power play, in my opinion, I think I know what it is, where it's going to go through spurts where it's going to struggle because they don't have that one-time shot. And I know that Thomas has been shooting the puck more, but we see this, we've seen him do this before where he goes through stretches where – he does shoot the puck, and then he goes back to reverting back to himself where he's not. And when he does that, it's tough to have him on that bumper, which the Blues have been doing. So I think I have a sense as to, okay, I know what the power play is, and it's going to be streaky, in my opinion. Without a one-timer shot, it's not going to be in the top 10. I, I don't think it's necessarily bad bad to where it's going to be sitting in the bottom 10. I think they're right around league average is where the power play is going to be. The penalty kill is where it's interesting for me because I still think they have the pieces to be a really good penalty kill team, but for whatever reason, it just started off super slow early on in the year, and I think now they're starting to trend back in towards that direction of, okay, that's what I expected them to be going into the year. If the Blues continue in this direction of, like, hey, they, they start winning games more regularly, and they get back into contention, and we start talking about the playoffs as opposed to which assets they're going to be trading off and now they suddenly become a buyer as opposed to a seller is that what they're potentially going to be looking for is somebody that can improve this offense maybe not even at five on five but specifically like not a power play specialist like Mike Hoffman who just never was a fit it didn't work here let's not play that game again it was never going to work and they moved on quickly and they, they cut bait is, is that, in your opinion, Alex, going to be the thing that is this year's top four defensemen, where we're yep. just searching far and wide for, hey, who can come in and help this power play with that one-time shot? Absolutely. Yep. And there, there's 
you can't go defense because your top four, like it or not, is locked in. You're not acquiring somebody because you're not going to keep that person who you're acquiring. Depth-wise, you're in an okay spot, too. With Callie Rosen as like a seventh defenseman, you're you're going to get Scandella back probably within the month or two. So, like, that's going to benefit this team. And I don't really think you need depth forwards because, again, hoping that if you get a Jake Neighbors a little bit more confidence, a Logan Brown a little more, more confidence, you can move guys around. It comes down to the power play guy. And if you decide to go in and say, yeah, we think we can win. We just need that one more piece. And it would come into a guy who could play in our top six and a guy who's going to be on the power play and be effective for us. And there's two names that I think that you can look at and say maybe you could pull something off. And one of them is connected to tonight's game. It's a Bo Horvat. And I... I don't think they're going to want to pay the price to get Bo Horvat because Bo Horvat's going to probably cost you what you would acquire in Ryan O'Reilly at the trade deadline. But Bo Horvat has nine power play goals on the season with 13 power play points. He's got a one-time shot. He's a centerman, can play the wing for you. Uh, Brock Besser's another guy who's on the power play, but he has struggled in Vancouver. you got a couple more years tied up into that. And then there's another one that I think you can look at that the Blues have been connected to in the past. Again, don't know if you're going to pull the trigger on it, but it's Timo Meyer with the San Jose Sharks. He's got eight power play goals and 10 power play points this season for the Sharks. Those are two guys that I would say if I'm Doug Armstrong and I'm saying we got a good team, we think we could do what we did last year, it's very evident that the Western Conference is wide open because there's not a clear-cut team like Colorado was last year. And, I mean, you're playing all of the teams in the Pacific Division right now, and you're going to get a taste of what that competition looks like. So if you want to, yeah, you're going to make a trade and say, let's get a guy who can play in the power play and be in our top six as an offensive minded player. But if you don't go that route, then I don't really think there's worth there's anything worth doing because any other move doesn't make you better. I think of the three that you mentioned, like he's probably the worst of the bunch, but Brock Besser is the one that makes the most sense because he's already resigned for the next couple of seasons. Right now he's on a three-year deal worth $19.5 million, or basically $20 million, 6.6 mil per year each of the next two seasons after this upcoming or and after you could year. probably get him uh, by low on that, and it's not going to cost you as much as the other guys would. He's, yeah, and he's, like I said, signed for the next two years, so he's a part of your future, not just the present. Timo Meyer, you're going to have to resign. Bo Horvat, you're going to have to resign, and they're both going to get significant money in whatever the next deals are. I mean, Look you're talking seven or eight mil. Yeah, you're talking about the Rob, Robert Thomas slash Jordan Cairo type of deals, and you're going to have a third one of those added onto your cap sheet. And I just don't know that the Blues can reasonably do that right now. So Besser's probably the one that makes the most sense for them. We're going to see him tonight. I want to see what he looks like against the Blues. Mm-hmm. His numbers this season are not particularly impressive. Is he a guy that if the Blues end up in this scenario, Alex, would make sense in your mind for them? I think so. Um, I mean, look, in the last four seasons, he's got 32 power play goals and he scored 92 goals in 275 games. So it's not pretty right now. But remember, um, for people that don't know, his father passed away in the offseason. And I think that was taking a lot of a toll on him. And then, of course, going through everything that Vancouver's going through right now, it's a player that probably needs a change of scenery, kind of like a Jesse Pugliarvi with the Edmonton Oilers. He's big. He goes to the front of the net. If people remember, remember correctly, when these two teams played in the playoffs in the bubble, uh, Brock Besser had his way with the Blues because he's a big body. So he makes sense. He's a power play threat. He's a guy who's going to give you 25 goals in a season. But do you want to pay him $6 million for the next couple of years? Maybe Vancouver eats some of the money. That's going to cost you a little bit more of a price than what it would be just to acquire Brock Besser. But if you look at the free agent market, I mean, you're probably not going to be able to afford Bo Horvat. Probably not going to be able to afford, uh, well, you're not going to be able to afford David Posternock. You're not going to be able to afford Dylan Larkin. You got to fill in the hole that is 
a winger in your top six when you lose Vladimir Tarasenko and pending on what happens with Barbashev and O'Reilly, he'd be a guy that I'd be really interested in because for $6 million, you're paying him $2 million more than what you, the hypothetical scenario you brought up of paying an Ivan Barbashev. You're getting a guy who's younger and has shown the ability to be a consistent 25-goal scorer. And Brock Besser, 21 goals since the start of the 2020 season on the power play, just for context, because we're trying to replace a specific guy that was on the Blues power play, and they really seem to miss him right now. You talk about Zach Sanford. David Perron had 19 goals since the start of the 2020 season. So I- Besser is... He's got some of the qualities that you'd be looking for here. Besser is a more expensive Yessi Puliyarvi, but I think both guys, well, we've seen it Besser. Puliyarvi has not got there yet, but both guys are that type of player. And frankly, for everyone screaming that this team needs to get back to the grinding performance, Brock Besser brings a lot of what David Perron played like with the Blues for those four years. What do you think it would take to get him, though? You're probably talking about a prospect. I don't know. Like you're probably talking about maybe a bold Vancouver right now is in this in between where like they just pay the blues are. Yeah. They pay JT Miller. They've got all of these guys signed to big contracts, but they also recognize that their team isn't any good. I think you could probably get away with sending somebody not named bull Duke or neighbors to hit to them and probably a second round draft pick, unless somebody's going to overpay for him, which somebody might. Because it's a former sixth overall draft pick. Yeah, I mean, he's a productive player. He has been in the past, and he's been a consistent like 20 to 25 goal scorer almost every single year of his NHL career. So a second round pick and a pretty good prospect in return. That's what it's going to cost. And you're going to have to send money to make it work on your side of things. And because the especially if the Blues end up being buyers instead of sellers, it's going to be a seller's market because there's not a whole lot of guys out there, especially in this category of goal scorers. If he ends up going, I could see the price getting pushed up and it being like a first-round pick plus a significant prospect. And this draft is so deep, according to general managers around the National Hockey League, that they're going to want first-round picks on any player they're trading. It's going to be tough. And as of tonight, late tonight, I think it's midnight, there is the the freeze. So there's not going to be any moves that are made any time in the near future. And for a guy like Brock Besser or Bo Horvat, those are like deadline types of moves. So we've got some yeah. time before anything like this were to play out. But... You've got like four of the top 10 potential trade targets playing in this game tonight for this upcoming NHL trade deadline. Two on the Blues, two on the Canucks. It's going to be interesting. How'd you go from two on the Blues instead of four on the Blues like you had earlier? Uh, they wouldn't be in the top 10. Barbashev, you know, Mikola? Yeah, Barbie and Mikola could be pieces. But I thought you said Barbie was going to be one of the great acquisitions at the trade deadline. Could be. Top 10. Could be. Top 10 move by Doug Hope Armstrong. A prayer. <laughs> Coming up in about 15 Barbara minutes show. or so. <laughs> Mizzou might not be good at basketball, but at least they're fun to watch. And Illinois seems to not be having a whole lot of fun right now on the basketball court. We'll talk about all that coming Woo-hoo. up in 15 minutes. NFL Quick Hitters is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs> yard line back to pass green left to dalvin turns it up outside the numbers of the 40 gets to the 50 and he's loose dalvin 20 to the left 15 10 5 touchdown dalvin cook yes yes a 64 yard touchdown and he had to drag a colt into the end zone 36 34 indy I love that guy. That's Paul Allen, the Minnesota Vikings play-by-play broadcaster. That audio courtesy of the Vikings Radio Network with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You're not going to find a better call than that this season as it was a part 
of the largest comeback in NFL history by the Minnesota Vikings. Here's what else took place this week, Alex. Three overtime games, five walk-off wins. The Chargers-Titans nearly ended in a walk-off. Should have been An overtime, overtime pick six. Whatever the hell that lateral play was in Sad. Las Vegas. A snowball and 11 of the 14 games were decided by one possession this weekend. So This was weekend. the wildest weekend of the NFL season, in my opinion. The only thing that came close was week one, which when you look back on that, you're like, the hell happened in the NFL in week one? Was this a one-off? Or do you think there's some weird stuff going on right now where the rest of the season's going to be unpredictable, Alex? No, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a one-off because we talked about this earlier. Like some of these teams just feel like they're bored with the regular season and they want to get to the postseason. Like the Chiefs seem that way. Eagles seem that way. Cowboys a little bit seem that way. But on the flip side of that, like look at the look at the playoff picture right now. You got four teams that have clinched a playoff spot in the NFC, two teams that have clinched a spot in the AFC, and you got all of these people battling it out in the AFC whereas like there's three teams battling it out in the NFC. So I'd like to say it's a one-off because they just want to get to the postseason, but I honestly think all of these teams just stink with the exception of a couple in each conference. Yeah, I I I think we're in for a crazy finish to the NFL season. Oh, I don't baby. think this was a one-off. I mean, we've seen Plenty of teams. I mean, the Raiders are a great example of showing teams how to blow 13 plus point leads. So, like, I, I think there's going to be more craziness. I think, like, you could see anything happen once we get to the playoffs. Like, it should not shock anybody if a wild card team from each conference gets to the Super Bowl. That's just how nuts I think the playoffs are going to be. I think we're in for some crazy finishes. I, I think that somebody in the NFC playoff picture is going to surpass Washington to get in. And it's probably going to be something where it comes down to, like, you know how they schedule games on the last week of the season where they keep everybody that's kind of in the same window at the same time slot. Don't be shocked if like you're watching red zone in the final week of the season. And it's like, Hey, Detroit's at like the five yard line. They scored a touchdown here that are in the playoffs and something crazy happens in the Washington game that leads them to a loss. I, I think we're going to see some more crazy finishes throughout the year. I think so too. I, I think that the NFL right now with the way that teams are playing defensively, it's taken away a little bit of the difference whenever you have those like superstar level quarterbacks. I mean, the Bengals really struggled early on in that game against the Buccaneers. Now they figured it out. It just took them some time that eventually they got it going offensively. The Chiefs have struggled offensively over the last couple of weeks at times. And it's not that they're struggling to move the ball, but because teams play them a certain way, it restricts those big plays and it just makes them drive more plays to go the course of the field. That adds in uh, variance when it comes to penalties. It adds in variance when it comes to turnovers. And over the last couple of weeks, those have killed the Chiefs offensively. So I think that's what you're seeing right now in the NFL. The Cowboys struggling uh, to close things out against the Jaguars. There's just a lot of teams that it feels like week to week. They're all kind of throw it into a blender and see what happens. And that's even right now. Like the Chiefs two weeks ago, we were talking about as one of the best teams in the NFL. They almost lost to the Texans who are like definitively the worst team in the NFL. I don't think this was a one-off. I think this is something that's very real, and it's going to make for some highly entertaining playoff games. As we continue with some NFL quick hitters, which AFC team that currently sits at 8-6 and six <laughs> is a bigger threat in the playoffs? The Dolphins, who have lost each of their last three games, or the Chargers, who have won three out of their last four, although those three wins did come against not particularly competitive teams. Chargers or Dolphins, which one has a better chance to be a threat in the playoffs, Alex? I think it's the Dolphins, just because, man, for some reason, I still don't trust the Chargers. Some of the 
decisions that have been made on both the offensive and defensive side in the last few weeks have just been really confusing. And I know they're coming off a big win against the Titans where they kind of shut them down, but still just because of the elite playmakers on the Miami Dolphins side, and you know what you're going to get on a nightly basis. I, I think it would be the Miami Dolphins. I think I'm going with the LA Chargers because I, though I don't think they have the better offensive weapons around their quarterback, I think they've got the better quarterback to the Chargers and Justin Herbert. And watching him yesterday, he's healthy. He's fine. Him and uh, Williams and Allen are on the field together. I, and the def- defense, I, I think the defense has been fine for them this this year. So I, I I look at the Chargers and I go, I think they can go on a run. I think Justin Herbert can help them win a shootout if necessary. And also if they're in a close game, I like Justin Herbert if he needs to take them the length of the field to go kick a field goal in the last uh, last two minutes of a game. So I, I like I like the L.A. Chargers. I just don't know if I trust Tua once you get into the playoffs. And we've seen that they are, and I know that they have the same record, but we've seen what it takes to beat the Miami Dolphins. And it's basically... You take away the deep threat of Waddle and Hill, and they're done. And and Tua can't beat you. So Justin Herbert, I think he can beat a team if he even throw out the best defense against them. Against them. I like the Chargers. These teams are mirror images of one another. They're both finesse. They don't have particularly good running games. They struggle to close out games. Win healthy, though, I'll take the Chargers. I trust Justin Herbert. I think Brandon Staley, despite his in-game management not being great, he's among the best defensive minds in the NFL. And he's come up with some really good defensive game plans in recent weeks. I think that the Chargers have a real chance to be able to upset somebody in the first round. And as a Chiefs fan myself, that is the team that I would most want to avoid in the first round of the playoffs. Like, I would be way more concerned about the Chargers coming into Kansas City in the first round than I would be about the Dolphins coming into KC. Wouldn't want to face Tyreek Hill, don't get me wrong, but if you had me choose, I could pick one or the other. I would rather play the Dolphins. Famous last words. I understand that. Here's another question for you guys. Over the past two weeks, the Cowboys narrowly escaped a loss against the Texans. And this week, they lost on a pick six to seal the deal against the Jaguars. Is it time to worry down in Dallas in your mind? No, I don't think so, because I think this team falls into the category of a team that wants to get to the playoffs. And I know you can't have that mindset, especially when you're the Cowboys, when, you know, mediocrity has kind of been the name of the game for you the last few seasons. But, man, I don't know. I just the defense is probably the biggest concern right now for this Dallas team, because that's back to back weeks where I was expecting big things from them and they didn't find ways to follow through on that offensively, you know, the Cowboys are always going to be there. And I think when push comes to shove in a big game, the defense steps up. So I'm just really wondering if the Cowboys are a team that's that feels overly confident and just wants the playoffs to begin. The problem is that, you know, you got to be able to flip that switch. And I don't know if they, they can do that with their inconsistencies over the last few years. I, I'm concerned for, about the Dallas Cowboys because Dak Prescott has not looked great the last handful of weeks. In his last four games, he's thrown nine touchdowns, seven interceptions. He's got a pretty good completion percentage, but in those four games, he hasn't even thrown for a thousand yards. So I have some concerns about their passing game. Dak has looked a little off of late and also the defense. I don't know what it is, but it just hasn't been able to. It hasn't looked as dominant as it had early on in the year. And that's been a concern for me. And to your point on, well, they look like a team that is just kind of sleepwalking to the playoffs. Dallas has something to prove. So, like, they shouldn't be sleepwalking to the playoffs. They shouldn't be bored. The Chiefs have been there. They've done that. So I could understand if they find themselves bored of the regular season, especially with guys like Mahomes, Kelsey, that have won a Super Bowl. Dallas hasn't done that. And let's just throw out the elephant in the room, too. 
McCarthy's a coach that I wouldn't trust in the playoffs at all. What the hell are we throwing the ball deep on third and ten for? I, I also wonder if this was the trap game, and I thought I said this when we were doing our pickums because Cowboys obviously had the Philadelphia Eagles yep. ready to go with Micah Parsons' comments, and you got the Jaguars to deal with first, and you just assume, well, it's Jacksonville, kind of like Tanner does. They're not good, and then boom, you, you're not ready for them. The thing is, like, like I threw me in there. Yeah, you're welcome. Six pack, cactus lime, Mick Ultra, please. I don't think that Eagles game is really that big. There's nothing at stake. No. The Eagles have one loss on the season. Even if the Cowboys ended up winning that game, they would still have three losses on the season, and then it would be split in terms of the head-to-head matchups. Eagles would still probably finish the season as the number one seed winning the NFC East. They're finishing the season out against New Orleans and the New York Giants. So as much as it might have been a trap game, you might be right, Alex. It shouldn't have been. No. The, the Cowboys know that they've got to take care of their own business for anything to really matter down the stretch for them. Otherwise, they're pretty much locked into that number five seed in the NFC because they're not going to move up from there. I think it was a trap game because of a young player saying something they probably shouldn't have said in the middle of a regular season when your team was kind of struggling. Totally fair. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario rewind. But coming up next, I still don't know truly how good Missouri is at basketball. But they're a hell of a lot of fun when they're making shots. Illinois seems to be having the opposite of fun when they're on the court right now. We'll talk about both of them next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like over the weekend as my, our Missouri Tigers beat UCF down in the Orange Bowl alongside Alex Ferrario. He's sometimes a Tigers fan. That's Standard Hendrickson. He hates the Tigers. I'm Brandon Kylie. I'm Missouri fan through and through. That was a weird game. (laughs) A really weird basketball game. That's what Tanner was talking about, that this team doesn't know how to play defense. So it was a game of runs. It was played at a much, much slower pace than what Missouri is used to on the season. UCF is a team that really slows it down. One of the slowest paces in the country. Missouri wants to play as fast of a tempo as possible. And the game that you saw was a result of that. We saw them at times get up and play with pace. And other times it got bogged down. It was played at half court. And that is not how Missouri is going to win this season. In the end, Missouri needed its three-point shooting to be able to survive in advance past UCF. That's a really good win for the Tigers. UCF is not a great team, but they're pretty good. And this was a borderline home game for UCF in that what I guess technically considered a tournament, if you will, but it's just a one-off. That is what Missouri looks like when they are able to just slog it out. Similar to the Wichita State game, although this was a better opponent that they were up against. They found a way to win, man. And they did not look like they were ready for prime time against Kansas. I think the same thing very well could happen against Illinois, Kentucky, and Arkansas in their next three games. But guys, I really like watching this team. They play a really fun pace. The guys are super likable. And when they're hitting shots from deep, this is a team that is going to probably pull off some upsets that nobody picks them to pull off this year because of the way that they pressure teams and because of the way that at times when they're hot, they shoot from beyond the arc. I like this Missouri Tigers team. They're fun. Um, they're also very stressful. I mean, what did they, they had a 14 point lead going into half mm-hmm. and that like went away in what? Five minutes. It, it, it went quick, but you're right. I mean, watching this team 
create offense. And what did they hit? They hit 13, 14? 13 of 25 from beyond the arc. I mean, that's exciting. And we haven't had that in a while because it feels like every time we talk about how they've had offense, they're not drilling those. And now they are. And they've got some entertaining players. It's just the bigger concern and the frustration comes from the fact that you can't hold on to leads when you get them. Yeah, and that comes down to just the defense. They, to me, they're just not a good defensive pains team. Too. Yeah, it's going to be growing pains, but I'm just not sure they're ever going to be a good defensive team. And with that, it comes down to can you outshoot your opponent on a nightly basis? And that's just a tough way to win in college basketball. And I think they're a team that by the time you get done with the season, they're going to be a team that's around the bubble. I think they're a yep. team that you, if they get in, they're going to be probably someone that gets in as a uh, last four in, or they're going to be one of those teams that's like first four or second. They're the going to be where Slew has out. been living over the last few years. Yeah, I, that, that's a pretty good spot because I, I, I think if, and, and you would take that from Dennis Gates because I'll be honest, I basically wrote off Mizzou when the season started because I was like, ah, it's a first-year head coach. He's going to have to figure things out. But at least he's got the offense clicking defensively. That'll come along a little bit. But I, I think they are going to be a team that's bubble-worthy to at least keep an eye on throughout the year. And that's an exciting thing for a Missouri basketball And fan. that's at least growing towards something, right? Because in the past few seasons, it just feels like they've never gone anywhere. It's just been kind of this... Up and down. Yeah, it's just it never felt like you were growing towards something. And this year, I expected nothing. And they've at least started off some, with some entertaining games. It also shows you that he can use the portal to be able to immediately just put together a team. And that's something that in today's college basketball, you have to be able to do. If you're not able to go out there and acquire the specific talent that meets what you need through the portal, you can't win consistently. I mean, we've seen teams that one year they're excellent, the next year they stink because of that. Like, if you end up being wrong in the portal, you can't compete in the next season. They were right on Noah Carter. Carter. They've been right on a lot of the kids that they brought with them, either from Cleveland State or the Horizon League in general. Demoy Hodge is arguably the Missouri Tigers' best player right now. I didn't see this coming out of him, and clearly Dennis Gates did. So credit where it's due. He's done a good job in the portal. They need to figure out what's going on with Isaiah Mosley. He's the guy that really increases their ceiling for the season. He was supposed to be their leading scorer. He hasn't really played much, and when he has, it It's been kind of out of sorts. It's not the same system that he's played in in the past. But if he gets going, that's how they end up reaching their full potential. And that full potential this year, like you said, might be a bubble team. That's a win for them going into this season. Illinois is very different. Illinois came into the season with very high expectations. And for the most part, they have met those expectations this year. Yeah, they have. But over the weekend, they won by 21 against Alabama A&M. Alabama A&M is terrible, and Illinois was struggling in the first half of that game to be able to pull away. This is what Matthew Meyer had to say after the game about where Illinois stands right now as a team. Listen closely, because I think you could read between the lines here. Matt, these are two games where I don't think you guys feel good about your effort. Is, is this, what's this time mean for this team? Like, What's this team at right now? I'm the wrong guy to ask about that because I really have my own opinions about this that I would not be that I would not be saying up here on this podium. Um, I think we got a lot to figure out internally uh, between the players and the coaches. Um, <clears throat> so I think uh, it's going to be something that we're going to have to figure out in practice. Well, that didn't go the way I expected it to go. It's fine. Matt Meyer has played a lot of college basketball. He spent the last four seasons over at Baylor. He was a good player for them. He's now a good player at Illinois. Terrence Shannon, another guy that they brought in as a significant transfer. They also brought in Sky Clark, who's one of the best freshmen in the country. This is a team that was kind of thrown together because that's college basketball now. As we were talking about with Missouri, Illinois had to do the same thing. They replaced a lot of talent. It sure seems like there is a gap 
between what some of these players were expecting their Illinois experience to be like and what Brad Underwood thinks that Illinois is right now. And man, I don't know what they were expecting because Brad Underwood is a hard-nosed coach. You're going to work hard, you're going to play hard, and if you're not willing to meet those expectations, you're going to be practiced really hard. If he didn't know that coming in, man, that's on Meyer. Because this is the way that Brad Underwood operates. This is how he operates his program. And I, it, it's kind of one of those you either get in where you fit in or you get out. And I think they're going to be able to figure this thing out. You see this a lot of the time with some of the top programs in the country. KU, Duke, every year there's one game where they play horribly defensively. And either Bill Stelf or in the past Coach K comes out and they say, yep, I've been telling them at practice all year that it's going to get them beat. And it finally got them beat. That's kind of what it feels like is going on right now with Illinois. By January, late January, early February, they'll hit their stride. They'll be fine. But right now, I do think there's a little bit of a, a push and pull on which direction this team is going to be headed. And I think it's coming from three different directions. I think it's coming from Brad Underwood and the coaching staff, the guys that transferred in and Meyer, uh, Dane Danger, but he was in the program last year. He just was uh, redshirting mm-hmm. or was uh, was sitting out because he transferred, and along with Terrence Shannon. And then there's also the guys that have been there in Hawkins and Melendez, and now you got the freshmen that are there, as you mentioned, Clark Epps. I, I think there's three different routes that these guys are pulling on, and because, like, to your point on what, you know, Meyer sounded like he's experiencing something different. I think Meyer and Shannon have been the guys that have been working their hardest. Now, I think where there's kind of that push and pull between them and the coaching staff is I think the coaching staff wants them to take on more of a leadership role, and I'm not sure that they're grabbing it by the reins. Now, it's hard for me to say that because I'm not at practice every day. I don't see that. But considering he was asked about Terrence Shannon's leadership after their last <laughs> loss, and went <laughs> kind of gave it away for me that well, he's expecting the transfers to lead this team a little bit and more. And that quote didn't get you the, the warm and fuzzy feelings no, about it, leadership. It, it, it didn't. And, and I also think they're in a – they're in a bit of a transition from what Hawkins and Melendez were used to last year and also what Clark and Epps were probably expecting when they came here because let's not forget that last year they had Coberta. They were basically a post team. This year they are more of a five out, let's figure it out from the outside of the perimeter and I think there's some of that push and pull between Hawkins and Melendez. Melendez has really struggled. He was a guy that was like the blue situation early in the season where they went from being the grind it out, dump it in and then go chase versus the rush team. And they're trying to figure out how that's going to look the rest of the season. So I I agree with you. I think they are going to get it figured out. I think Underwood was hoping that they were going to have more a better effort in the AM game in the first half because it was coming off of that loss where he did make the fart sound up at the podium. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh and they didn't it doesn't sound like they showed up in the first half. I mean they were up and they were up pretty good, but they were still turning the ball over. They didn't look like the aligner that you're expecting to come out. I, I think they're going to be a team that was projected to be near the top of the Big Ten and I think they're going to finish probably fifth, sixth in the Big Ten. I think they're going to be a team that still makes the tournament, but I think they're going to sit a lot lower than what people were expecting. And they're a team right now that looks like a first-round exit, in my opinion. They're not coming together. And I think that will change, but it's got to start happening a little bit quicker than what we're seeing because wow. they're getting ready, they're, they're running out of cupcakes, and they're getting ready to get in the Big Ten. The Big Ten is loaded once again. Well, first-round knockout. I mean, it's par for the course with this Illinois team, right? Yeah. Illinois versus Mizzou bragging rights coming up on Thursday looking forward to that one should be a lot of fun I do think that Illinois ends up winning that one I I think that this is exactly the kind of wake-up call that they probably needed prior to the bragging rights game they'll 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 be fully prepared for that one and they've got the ball handling to be able to deal with uh, Mizzou's pressure so I I think Illinois gets the better of them there but that's always a fun game looking forward to that on Thursday with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind coming up next
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's on 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. That is where you can find it. Alex, I wanted to finish today by getting back into our conversation that we had about the Cardinals versus the Dodgers earlier today. And I, I think a lot of people heard what I said and they immediately pushed back on, no, Dodgers better than Cardinals. Maybe, maybe. They have been in the past, like recent years. You can definitely say that the Dodgers like definitively have been better than the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't think this is the same Dodgers team that we've seen in recent years. Let me read you down their their top nine in their lineup. This is as currently projected by fan graphs. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy. Really good top four. J.D. Martinez, Gavin Lux, Trace Thompson, Chris Taylor, James Outman. That's the rest of their lineup. That second half sounds like something that the Cardinals would have been counting upon in recent years. I don't even know who one of those players is. Yeah, well, he's a prospect. Oh, okay, I made him up because I don't think Outman's an actual player. So I think that when you look at the way that things are constructed right now, the Dodgers' back half of their lineup is their biggest weakness. You look at the Padres. I think they've got a really good one-two-three in their rotation with Darvish, Musgrove, and Snell. Not really sure what they're doing at the back end of their rotation right now. It looks like Nick Martinez is probably going to get the first crack at it. And then Seth Lugo, who they just signed to a two-year deal worth, I think, $15 million, he is now expected to be a number five starter for them. It's a lot of risk there at the back end of your rotation. They might be light on innings. You look at what you have right now with the Braves. I think it is also their rotation. Now, their upside is way higher than what the Cardinals have in their rotation. But I think right now they've got Spencer Strider slotted in, and there's some real injury concern there. I think Mike Soroka is probably their number five starter as of today. And again, there's real questions there as well. When you look at some of these other teams and we start talking about their questions the way that we do the Cardinals, does it make you feel any better about the Cardinals going into this upcoming season? Yeah. I I mean, because I think a lot of the times we focus on the strengths versus the Cardinals relative strengths and it makes us a little concerned, but there are the questions with other teams as well. Yeah. I mean, there's questions like even the Phillies, I think have questions going into the season, but I, I mean, you're going to have those questions. I think the problem with the Cardinals and why people are so hesitant with it is because those questions you've really never seen the answers with a lot of them. Like Tyler O'Neill obviously has given you those answers and Jack Flaherty has given you those answers, but then you get to the other pieces that are supposed to be the assets. Like Nolan Gorman had a arguably good season, but to depend definitively good season for a rookie, depending on how you look at that, are people buying in on him being that impact bat Dylan Carlson? Like, I don't even know if we've had a full season where you looked at it and you say, damn, that's the guy we've been talking about with Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker. We don't even know what we're getting out of Jordan Walker right now. Large new bar. It was half of a season. So there's just like, at least when it's the Dodgers, you hear those names and you know what the best of the best are going to provide. And then everything else is just kind of kosher. But for the Cardinals, it's, you know what you got in these three, but then beyond that, it's like, okay, but have we seen it with these guys? Yeah, I, I think it makes me feel better when you take a f- further view of things from the National League perspective because, I, I mean, you look at these teams and everybody has kind of the all have question marks. And I, I think if someone has a question mark that ends up going 
the wrong way. Like, if the Cardinals outfield doesn't end up hitting, like, you know, if Newpar doesn't hit his stride, Carlson and O'Neill aren't there, and you have three open spots, like, they're going to struggle. And they may struggle just in the division in its own, if we're being completely honest with ourselves. So I, I think it's fair to – I think it's when you look back on things and you see, okay, here's the question marks for these teams, I think it makes you feel a little bit better where they are because I think especially – like I mean, you mentioned the Phillies. If Phillies have something pop up to where the back end of their rotation's bad behind Nola and Wheeler, Nola or Wheeler for you're gonna you're gonna be stretch. you're gonna be better than them on paper probably. So I I think when you I think part of the reason we focus in so much and go oh these major question marks for the Cardinals are gonna be what's holding back is just because we're here yeah. we're not we're not standing on it's that natural. faraway view and, and that is natural. I I think when you take that further away perspective, you can go okay I can see where why the Cardinals are going from this perspective. Okay, let's gamble here because everybody's gambling somewhere. And that that's that's the point that I wanted to get to. And I'm not suggesting that the Cardinals don't have questions. They absolutely do real, tangible, significant questions with the way that the roster is constructed, specifically with their number one starter. That's why I've said all along, I would have gone out there and acquired Carlos Rodon. But from the 636, guys, the Cardinals still have significant questions with the entire rotation. These other teams do not. Yes, they do. They're just different. A lot of these other teams are in the spot where the Cardinals were last year, where it's, man, are they going to have an innings deficit? Are they going to be in a spot where they're just trying to pick guys up off the scrap heap? They're getting John Lester and Jay Happ, and they're just trying to find guys that can start for them. That's very possible for a lot of these teams around the National League that are legit contenders because it's hard to build rotation depth. Cardinals don't really have that concern for me right now. The Cardinals' concern is, what's their match for Justin Verlander? What's their match if he's healthy for Clayton Kershaw? What's their match for Burns and Woodruff? I don't really know that they have that right now. And I'm not sure they have anybody that even has the upside to become that. Say with me. That's where the Cardinals are. Dakota Hudson. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. See Vandal. Vandal.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen. And galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at Gravitationally Bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details.